sometimes do you wish that like the apocalypse would happen just so you wouldn't have to deal with all this bullshit he is shedding the clark kent he's become but it's a bad superman that he's becoming Superman three. Yeah, he's like he's like cutting this off and like cuts his head and he's like bleeding from a head wound, but he's like shaving this off into a mullet because he wants it and he gets it. He's wanted it his whole life and he gets it. And he's like, and I'm coming for that fucking fat fucker. He is mine and just like I love the idea of a mullet as a weapon. And there has been no word from the national government on what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, it's just. Greetings, Long Walkers. Dave here. Uh, Palmer ended up taking a somewhat spontaneous getaway with Ash before starting his new gig next week. So instead of doing a live session tonight, we're sharing part of our private hangout we had a few weeks ago that first turned into what we planned to be a King Corner roll-in, but what ended up morphing into a verbal manifestation of the movie Palmer's had running in his head for the last nine months, maybe, maybe more. Um... We teased it many times in episode 51, but even edited that show ended up being over four hours and not just because of the Dreaming Out Loud archive outro segment tagged on at the end. Um, But anyhow, now's your chance to hear the cannibalized conversation. Um, Next week, uh, August 22nd, we're planning on recording an episode focused on the Karate Kid saga, including in especially the Cobra Kai series on YouTube. Um, I believe Moto's joining us for that, as well as Twinkie. So subscribe to us on YouTube and click the bell to be notified when we go live for that session. Um, We aim to start at 8 p.m. Eastern, but as Double D said recently, on this show, we're always about 40 minutes from where we're trying to be. So best thing to do is to subscribe and click the bell for notification. Um, For audio-only listeners to the podcast, the Karate Kai episode will drop the following week of the live stream. We're looking into getting into that rhythm um, where we webcast live on YouTube one week, then the resulting podcast edited from that conversation posts there and on iTunes, etc. the following week. God willing, and the world doesn't burst into flames, that cycle will repeat in perpetuity. Okay, all right, enough of my own dribble. Um, without further ado, I turn you over to our conversation on Kugo, Kugo, <laughs> Cujo and ultimately the cannibalized by way of our King Corner segment. Honey bunny. Come on over here, sugar bun. This machine just called me an asshole.
it's again long martial drink but basically um stephen king is basically getting this renaissance because all these people who grew up reading him are now in a position that they can make projects oh, on his yeah. work right yeah. and so like they have this intimate whereas like uh, of course like who directed uh, dead zone who who was that cronenberg uh, yeah like cronenberg. a lot of really notable directors were a lot of notable movie. directors in his early work but like they were really they were hired because they were a notable director and this was a notable author not that they had like had this intimate knowledge of stephen king right yeah and that's yeah. how we're getting like we get we we got it because that person grew up right. reading stephen king Yes. And knew Stephen King and knew what they needed to get to synthesize that into an awesome cinematic experience. And I was telling Ash about this, like right now at this moment, the sequel to it is being is is in production. There's a reboot of Pet Cemetery that has started filming. That the director has been like, if you thought the original Pet Cemetery was terrifying, you don't know what terrifying is. Like, he is doubling down on how scary this edition of Pet Cemetery is going to be. Have you seen the original Pet Cemetery? No, like I'm kind of inching towards that. Fucking most terrifying. Really? Like oh, of no. all the scary movies, like I was telling Ash, I was like, of all the scary movies where oh, I'm like, God. Ash could totally handle this. That is the one scary movie that I'm like, you need to keep this from her as long as you possibly can distance her as far from this movie as you possibly can that movie wow. is terrifying absolutely terrifying i watched it recently as a grown-up and it's still fucking terrifying the book is fucking terrifying like just the book is so scary and so <laughs> And they're rebooting it, and this director is doubling down on how fucking terrifying he's going to make this, right? That's in production. There is a reboot of the Stand miniseries that is just starting in writing. And listen to some of the pe some of the writers that they have associated with this. Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's His son. son. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forget who the director is that's that's helming it. They have a, a writer from Westworld that's working on it. It's a 10-part miniseries of The Stand, which is cool. going to be... Just, the guy who's, who's leading it showed right before their writing meeting, he had seven editions of The Stand all stacked together so you could see their spines, like how they were released over time. I like well, saw it. see this. Like, Oh my gosh, my dick got so hard. It was so awesome. Oh, you right? know, I love paper and nope, nope cards. <laughs> oh yeah. And so like where did you so, see that? <laughs> on, on Reddit. <laughs> so like oh my so the, god. So, so that's in production. That um Amazon is rebooting the Dark Tower series as a television show on Prime, and they're gonna be more um they're going to adapt the books as opposed to I um I can't say that without starting. They're adapting the books. They're going to be more true to the books. All these things are happening. And this article basically is like, it's because these people grew up reading Stephen King. So they get it. That's essentially that, yeah. the article I sent you. That makes right? a lot of sense. Yeah. So I think that we should buy a dollar baby and make it. Oh, like it's a I movie. Think. Yeah. I think that's what should happen. I think that we should like commit to like 
a two-year production schedule so that like we can make sure that your projects are all like off your plate so that this isn't adding anything we can say like okay this amount of time we're going to work on a script and then this amount of time we're going to work like then we'll plan for filming summer of this year or whatever and then let's make a dollar baby and just see what fucking happens with it like that a long march like a great idea you know i, mean, I think the one thing I would add to it is just we'll be just looser on the timeline. Like we'll just kind of yeah. work on as we're able and inspired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have but to zero down on anything, thing, but like just like let's get a really good script and like something that we can shoot, something that we yeah. know we could pull off, and then let's just fucking do it, right? Like he sells the like they're cheap. They're you can I can't do the eye one. Eye in the hand, I can't have it. No, that's <laughs> fine. No, 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 that's fine. Like, <laughs> that, that one, we'll look at the that. dollar babies and we'll we'll <laughs> see. If if Mrs. Todd's uh raw, a shortcut is one of them, Jesus, yeah, I can we can find out right away. Like, oh yeah, it says actually, um, StephenKing.com. I've been looking at this recently. I actually have a bunch of Stephen King stuff. We'll just have to roll this in as like a King Corner, maybe the first part of a King Corner for fifty one. Because by oh. that time, Castle Rock will have premiered. I I asked Ash. I was like, "Can we? We're we're about to like quadruple our income. Can we please get Hulu at the end of the month so I can watch these things? I want to watch Rick and Morty. I want to I want to watch Rick and Morty. I want to watch Castle Rock, and I want to watch Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. I want to watch those three things, and you can only get them on Hulu. So I think Ash. She was probably like, "Sure, babe, whatever you want." She's like, "Yep." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just screamed at you like like an hour ago, and you're and you're just like and you're just like whatever you want, honey. Like God, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve you at all. Uh, and good titles currently available for adaptation. Ready? Yeah, I, I'm looking at them right now. Very. Let's alternate. Uh, I want that first one. <laughs> you take it. A very tight place. She said, "Oh, all that you love will be carried away." <laughs> this is a little <laughs> okay. Go oh, ahead. Beach World. I don't know any of these yet. Big Wheels, A Tale of Laundry Game, parentheses Milkman Number Two. Yeah. Kane Rose Up. Don't know it. Next one, Dedication. Nope, don't know that one. The Doctor's Case. No. Graduation Afternoon. No. Nope, Gray Matter, don't know that one. Gray Matter's from Night Shift. Maybe. Oh, I think that is. I remember. That's not the I one. The Here I There one. Be Tigers, I know that one's from one of those short story collections. That's the one where the, there's a tiger in the boys' room. The kid has to go to the bathroom, and there's a tiger in there that eats a kid. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the one that I have such trouble with his eye in the doorway where is it where where an eyeball starts to form in a guy's hand oh there's a lot of special effects there we need to be closer to jacko to pull that one off anyway moving deliveries me a no 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 well no no read the well this is for the stephen king fans <laughs> to listen <laughs> so the next one after i am the doorway oh is... sorry um in the death room don't know it next one is lt's theory of pets mm -mm. Yep, and the last rung up the ladder. Now the reason, and I know that people know that I've I've gone through all the chronology, but I've only done that on audio. And that's a and long time ago. His and also his collections of short stories; those are not always one hundred percent. Yeah, because 
they will do a selection usually of the short story collections. They won't do all of them. So yeah, yeah. The um, last rung in the ladder, I kind of remember because it's you know fresher for me. Maybe something like a death's bed type type thing from Night I Shift, do but. see the one that I think if it's the one I know, if it's the one I think this one would be a perfect one. Um, Ooh. But, but do I jump the, to that? I realize there's no. It's in more, the second so. column. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh. I don't know whose turn it is. Uh, well, here I'll just do uh, Lucky Quarter. I don't know it. The man yep. who loved flowers and another night shift, but I don't remember it. Yep. And the man who would not shake hands. That one sounds familiar, but I don't remember it. Morning deliveries, Milkman number two, or no, sorry, Milkman number one. Yep. Interesting to come after two, but all right. And then mute. Next, mo no, oh mother, Nona, Nona. <laughs> Um, and then we get to the. This is the one that I think would be good. Yeah, this is one I for the road. Too. One for the road. It's a little bit. Uh, this is the it's related the, to Salem's Lot. It's the sequel. It's the unofficial sequel to Salem's Lot, which is a, a a short story that just. And all this is is kind of like what happened to Salem's Lot because there's it's a town that implodes on itself basically, and yeah. what happens is this town that disappears. And uh, I, I know that 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 is a good one. I like uh, a lot about this. and You know what I say, too, is if we get, we might even return to your earlier suggestion of an audiobook type scenario. Because oh. the trick to One for the Road is I believe it takes place in a blizzard. And especially trying to coordinate where we oh, are from yeah. across the country. That I mean, I do live in Minnesota, which could be good. <laughs> oh, no, that could, uh, we could make that. I, I mean, that might be good. But it's well, hard to plan around snow. So possibly... Yep. We could adapt to that, uh, but it's funny you say that because that's the I when we thought about this before, that was one that occurred to me when I when I had to look well, at the list. The one, of what was but available. it takes place in like a doesn't that take place in like a little? It's like a bar or something, or a yeah. bar or something. And and so the store, I mean, we could make that happen visually without yeah. actually small cast. And a lot of it is told as like as uh, stories. So we could do that, like oh, yeah. where we're filming the stories. You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, while the like bartenders like kind of telling that story. Um, yeah. Uh, so while the like sound of a storm is raging outside the bar. So yeah. I love um, that. It reminds me of like the Invisible Man. Yeah. <laughs> the opening of the Invisible Man is one of my favorite things. I try to watch it in the winter if it's snowing. It's just a weird thing of mine. Um, who read that one? You or me? One for the road. Uh, I think that was me. You're next. So, Popsy, no idea what that is. <laughs> no, in rainy season, that sounds familiar. Some of these sound fake. <laughs> uh, the Reach. Yep. Rest Stop, I know. I like, oh. I actually just thought of Rest Stop as an adaptation earlier. So, Rest Stop is in his latest collection of short stories. And that's the one where he gives this. He on the audiobook, it's great because he gives an introduction to every short story. He tells you like when he wrote it, he tells you what the inspiration was for it, oh and he tells God. you what his reactions are to it. Which and collection so, is this? Uh hang on, let me look at this rest stop. That doesn't uh, just after sunset. Oh, um man. and so uh, I, I mean, this came out in between the Mer the Mr. Mercedes trilogy. So, like the first oh, Mr. Mercedes recent. came out, yeah. First Mr. Mercedes came out, and then that came that collection came out. He wrote this story a while ago. So the whole point of this is 
there's this kid who goes to this old abandoned rest stop because his brother like dares him. He won't go to it or whatever. And he goes there and he like passes. He like takes a nap essentially inside this rest stop, which has become this like hangout for teenagers to have sex and drink beer. Right. And so, but he's little, he's like eight. So while he's napping, this car pulls off onto the, on the off ramp for the rest stop. And it's like covered in mud and looks like old and decrepit. And as people pull over to help whoever has pulled over, this car consumes them. Like as soon as they touch it, it like sucks them in and absorbs them and eats them alive, basically. And it's this <laughs> like it's this honey pot basically that keeps sucking in these like good Samaritans to help out and then like kills them. And uh, the only thing that that the kid ends up realizing because uh, he has a magnifying glass in his pocket that his brother told him was baby games because he used magnifying glass to like burn ants. Right. And so he uses that on the car because he realizes that the mud that it's covered in, if it dries out, the car like feels pain. And so he takes the magnifying glass and burns the car to the point that it like disappears. It like shoots up into space and you find out that it's like this alien thing that had been eating human beings. Basically Uh, it's like, it is so horrific and awesome at the same, like these two kids watch their parents get eaten by the car, basically like, and they, the, the, the other kid who was sleeping at the rest stop saves them from getting eaten by the car. It's oh man, it's so good. And just how these dumb people just keep pulling over and getting eaten by the car and they can't rationalize it because it's a car eating people, you know? Yeah. The thing <laughs> I like about that is that it reminds me of, uh, of one of the great short stories that has already been adapted by the master himself, like trucks. <laughs> oh man. Yes. Same thing. Like right up there. Uh, That'd be much easier to pull off as an audio, that particular one. Yeah. Oh <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, just hearing your retelling of it is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's good. Um, uh, which one was that? That was rest stop. The rest stop. Rest stop. Stationary bike is the next one. Fuck bikes. No, <laughs> no, this one is really good too. I I think I know what this one is. So this one is about yeah, it's in just after. Um, so this guy finds out that he has high cholesterol, right? And so he starts riding this stationary bike. I'm reading the synopsis. I'll just read the synopsis because that'll probably be better. So I, after I being, dig the Stephen King.com official website. Yes. It's helpful. Yeah. As a guide to his so, remarkable library. After being told by his doctor his cholesterol level is too high, Richard uh, Seifs, I don't know how to pronounce that name, begins riding a stationary bike in his basement of his apartment building. To help alleviate the boredom, he buys maps and plots the route from New York to Herkimer, a town in the U.S.-Canadian border, each day making the amount of miles he has ridden towards his goal. He also paints a scene of a road on the blank wall in front of the bike to help him imagine actually traveling the road. 
as he nears Herkimer, according to the miles plotted on his map, at least, and has gotten in great shape physically, he begins having strange thoughts that there is someone following him on his daily rides. And basically, like, there's these road workers. He imagines this whole other world in this painting that he visualizes, and they're road that they, these road workers basically are are people that he has control over it, it's man that's i i don't know how it, you probably should go to wikipedia for a good synopsis <laughs> actually that's the i mean i was there was a mental picture forming there for sure that oh, was pretty yeah. good actually oh yeah good stuff um i think you're next uh survivor type i yeah, don't know that one that again one. the feeling you can only say what it is in french <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet he's referring to L'Esprit L'Esterrier, I think, is, is the... What's that? Um, it, it's that... Analingus? <laughs> uh, I wish it, it was Analingus, and I'm probably totally mispronouncing oh, I'm trying to remember what uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> made us laugh with. I think it was Asselingus, sorry. I have... Yeah, the feeling... Oh, je ne sais quoi, right? No, no, no. You can't describe uh, it? it? It's... Uh, it's L'Esprit, oh, that's it. L'Esprit, L'Esterrier, and it's, it's, it is, it, the, f when you realize what you should have said when you were in a confrontation with somebody. Oh, afterwards. Afterwards. Oh. And it's, it's called the stare spirit. The direct translation is the stare spirit. And what that means is like, you know exactly what you should have said as you're walking down the stairs after the confrontation. And <laughs> the George Costanza effect. Like, exactly. I guess and, the jerk stole right uh, out of you. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but I don't even know if that's what it is. The ultimate case <laughs> of deja vu is what it is. Huh. Uh, uh, and that's that from everything's eventual. Um, Uncle Otto's truck. I don't know what that is. Willa. Not a no, real story. <laughs> and the woman in the room it's a nice ship nice shift one but i don't remember what it is I I think what's funny is if i'm if i'm if i'm remembering it correctly the woman in the room is the it was basically the short story that king wrote about his mom's death oh yeah i clicked on the link and it it does show night shift there's no synopsis available there are two comments First yeah. is sucks. <laughs> yeah. The second one is Frank Darabont made a version of this film. Already, yes. So which means okay. don't fucking bother. <laughs> no. So and, and, and there is an interview with Stephen King that so this dollar baby thing has existed in a long for a long time, right? Yeah. And when uh, it was either Shawshank Redemption or Green Mile because Frank Darabont directed both of those including the mist so he directed shawshank redemption he directed green mile and he directed the mist those were the three stephen king adaptations that he's done in one of those king says i remember he talks about the dollar baby thing and i only know this story from larry larry told me this story yeah that that that's how i know like how far it goes back because i haven't seen larry in many years yeah. but he was the one to tell me about this right and uh he stephen king said in one of those behind the scenes things that this young kid sent me a dollar baby because like the whole 
the original point of the dollar baby was you pay $1 and you have to send a copy of the film that you make. Like I yeah. want a VHS copy of the film. And <laughs> I want $1. Yep. And you it's like a little option. Yep, <laughs> you, know? and you can adapt any of this list of movies. That's why they're called dollar babies for those who don't know. And, uh, he, unbeknownst to Frank Darabont, he had connected with that story, the woman in the room, not knowing that it was all based on Kings dealing with his mom passing, like dealing with cancer and passing away. And King has gone on record to say, when I watched that, I said, this guy is going to direct, like he's going to be something. Hmm. And then years later, he gets a call that says, this guy is adapting one of your films, one of your <laughs> short stories, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. And it's Frank Darabont. And King remembered his, because that story was so personal to him, he remembered him sending in that dollar baby on it. And so, yeah, that one, you're right. Like, don't even, don't even fucking touch it. Like, <laughs> it's already been done well. So, um, I, I like rest stop, I like stationary bike, and I like one for the road. All three of those, I yeah. think, are, are good. I'd have to really dissect these other ones. I'm sure I, I know a good amount of them. Uh, without the doctor's case, might be. British Lord is murder. All suspects. Oh, that, that's his. The doctor's case is his. Sherlock Holmes there is he has a short story that is Van Helsing and his sons in America basically really? yeah and how they followed vampires into America uh I have to try to remember what where what collection that's in but it's this really good story about how the his his older Van Helsing's because Van Helsing is like old, like really old, mm -hmm. but he has these two young sons and the oldest of the two thinks that his dad is sadistic and crazy and mm -hmm. doesn't actually believe that there's vampires because they haven't found one. And then they find one and uh, him having to come to terms with his, it, it's this great story of like, you know how you think your parents are full of shit. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you realize you get old enough and you realize holy shit, they weren't at all. Like, I was the one that was full of shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was a really good story for that. I wish that one was on the list. I, wish I know. Todd, it was, like, Shortcut I, I, was on here. My um, misunderstanding of the uh, Dollar Baby thing for a long time was I thought that it was kind of anything was up for grabs for the short stories. But it turned yeah, out I thought so too, list. yeah. Because uh, that would be awesome. But... Man, I what? like it. I think I think maybe um, when we get to that point where we're ready to sort of actively engage in it, whether that's you know a week from now, or a month from now, or a year from now, maybe we just uh, make a little offshoot <laughs> for our. You know, I know uh, we've heard a little bit of feedback from some of our listeners. Not everyone's on board for the Dead Zone Book Club. <laughs> we yeah, can we can make it a separate thing where, um, yeah, I mean, essentially, this podcast a lot of times is us carving time out for each other uh we we yep. could uh yeah you know have the have our our you know, have it be a kind of a behind the scenes type thing about the development thereof yeah so i think that's very fun i mean my main um concern with like all the various things i'm trying to do is 
it, it's just real. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a certain level of, of, of deciding upon a focus of a few things. Yep. Like, there was a good six months where all I did was long walk for a drink, but I would have it no other, when we were first getting started. Yeah. And, and but there's, I have it no other way. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like oh, right yeah. now I'm, I'm spreading myself across a bunch of things where, for different motivations and a lot of it, like the anniversary stuff. I'm like, and I, I'm just suddenly like, I'm not finishing anything. Yeah. I'm not getting, and it's just like, what am I really doing here? So, so like, but something like this, that, uh, a lot of that those endeavors are so solitary and so like i can't even really share them with anybody yep beyond the people around them who often don't care that this is going on anyway <laughs> it's just like well let's maybe spend your time with something else that could facilitate community <laughs> other yep. things too. Those yep. are the, those. so so actually even though this sounds like another thing it sounds like a good thing to me no, and I think that you know, just like long walk, short drink, we just put time into it when we can and and how we can. And I mean, I totally get it. I I'm not getting anything done either. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I right now I'm in the, like the the website, the my shop, uh, my process into getting hired into this job, like all these things. Like they're all like, you know, they're all. 75% I would say 30 to 75% at some point uh complete and I'm just spinning wheels on what to do and where to go and yeah I totally get, I totally get it that's why I I don't want it to be another thing I just looked at it as oh man this is something that we both can get behind and it's happening and I definitely am not looking at it as like, oh, you know, this might be our ticket, but it's like, man, everybody else is doing it. We should do it too. You know, like this could be really fun for us and then a good excuse, a good long walk, short drink thing to do, you know? Yeah. I uh, mean, I've, I really come back, I, I think, to a fault that I'm trying to sort out a little bit, like ticket schmick it. Like it's, for me, I know it's a little bit of a trap to try to ch chase attention. Yeah. Uh, but I think what's, especially healthy and good for me are the ways in which like these kind of creative pursuits can align and <laughs> yeah that's why i stopped at those two <laughs> beers i'm just drinking i'm drinking ginger peat this is my jam ginger peat sparkling water <laughs> nice good stuff oh man but um anyway but if uh if i can facilitate relationships that are important to me through projects that's kind of been a thing for me. So that was right up my alley to where the, you know, pro product is fun, but, but the idea that we could do all this all together is. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's so much of that. That's the motivating factor. Uh, I uh, think it's great. I mean, maybe we can find ways to, I don't know. It's like, I don't think there's any rules. Excuse me. Beyond. Um, you know, I don't think you're you have to adhere this much or that. You know, there's not a lot of rules beyond the idea of these stories are not under contract contract for movies, which means they are available for film students who want to try their hands at a Stephen King story. If you want to be one of my dollar babies, send us your info. I don't know how much he has to approve stuff. So, like, maybe yeah. there are ways we can tie some. Like, maybe we can find something we can tie into that idea you floated not too long ago about. 
Twinkie in the Apocalypse. You know what I mean? Like, oh, man. maybe there's some sort of way. But but the the point being, it's a creative outlet that pretty much serves primarily to facilitate our own interactions, yep. <laughs> which is I'm all for. Whatever. Absolutely. Well, I I mean I got I you know. And in, in, in any way to just keep it fresh. That's the other thing too, is so that it's not, I, I just like try new things and like, and like, let's see what we can do here and let's go this route and let's try this. And so, no. Yeah. And we can be smart about each other's strengths because my strength or weakness is like, I sink my teeth into something that's probably for life for decades. I can't like, we'll follow it to a fault. Right, <laughs> so, right. Where uh, as I'm once I'm satisfied, I'm like, okay, let's go on to the next thing, you know, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but there, so, and we have other members of our kind of our, our cast, our and our creative uh, friends that I think we can, especially if we, if we, if you know, if we pool our collective powers, there's no telling what we can achieve. But there's a great like breadth of different sort of uh, strengths. So I totally can cool. do the Twinkie. I, like the Twinkie cannibal thing in the desert. Like, <laughs> yeah. And maybe not the desert. Like I, I thought about it that for a while because like that's almost like too much of a direct rip off of like of um, Mad Max or anything like that. Like I just I, I see these I just see this story of two guys handling an extreme situation on both ends of the spectrum. Like one guy is completely unprepared for it. And the other guy has been like, I have been waiting for this my entire life. And now I am ready to shed the skin of who I wasn't, which is like where I was in society. And now that society has fallen apart, I can actually be, who I am, and that person is a fucking madman. You know, like, <laughs> and uh, in in another person where who both of them had, or both of them were okay once society existed, right? But as soon as it ceased, one flourished and the other one fell apart. Mm-hmm. And and just there, how are they going to survive in this new? existence and the struggle between those two extremes and how they're interacting with each other. Like, why is the cannibal obsessed with this person that's failing, you know? And like, why is this person running from the cannibal? Like what, what created that situation? And like, and, 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 uh, and those are the questions I can't answer yet, but I can just see it. I, I, I can just see like Twinkie as this, maybe it's like this innate fear as like a chubby person of like, if that happened, like how I wouldn't be able to run. I wouldn't be able to like, you know, none of those things. And like, how would I survive against Twinkie where Twinkie obviously is like, he is prepared for that. Like he's, he can run five miles. He can like do all of those things. You know what I mean? And like, how, how would, how, what would put us in that situation? How would we survive that situation? Who would come out on top? You know, because like right now in all of my ideas, it's like, you know, the cannibal wins and like how like what's the resolution in that story, you know, and like, yeah, but you don't want like you don't want to just like not let the cannibal win because then that's cliche because the good guy comes out on top. Like, 
But what's that story? Like I, that really, it fascinates me. Like, why is he running from the cannibal? And why is the cannibal obsessed with this one guy when he's like society's in the process of following he's passing hundreds of people thousands of people all doing the same thing all panicking because society is falling apart and he could give two shits he only cares about this one guy why why does he care about him why isn't any of these other people that he's interacting with and and decimating why aren't they satiating him why is this one have to be it and why is that guy running from the cannibal? Of course, the obvious reason is because the cannibal's chasing him, but I don't think that's it. I think there's more to it, you know? And like, oh. This is so exciting here. You're talking about there's three things that spring to mind out of all this in no particular order. One is we were talking about these various projects that I was I've been juggling. Some of it's like surround a lot of some of the sort of urgency or <laughs> like I should look at this uh, around these anniversaries. And so I've been looking at, I have been looking at the video footage that I have from 20 years ago, that kind of magical summer. We talk about cabin kids and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. And um, a lot of that was captured. It was, there was a bunch of stuff prior to filming the cabin concert and creating this, like this documentary that we call dreaming out loud. I, or I guess I called that and carried that, that, Kind of moniker forward to mean all things where you're just making the things that you want to have happen a reality yeah kind of coming stemming from the confidence i found in that group of friends anyway but the initially it stemmed from this i'd done a couple like senior videos one for i think uh twinkie in your your class no twinkies yes yeah. oh crap. twinkies a year ahead of me oh okay so it'll be twinkies class i created a senior video montage at the request in collaboration with maybe someone in my class and then next like twinkies class yep and uh by that time i was hanging out yeah a bunch of cabin kids and so i was like we should have something like this for what kind of cool stuff we're experiencing so we were filming stuff for the intention of like a song but no and, I, and early on i was calling it the one video and it got you know we published that on our youtube channel youtube's one etc but so I've been looking at some of that footage. There's this one thing of Twinkie I've completely forgot about where for some reason or other, we were in Sharon Center and it was the night before Crams left for Wyoming. He went on a trip with Wyoming, trip to Wyoming with his new girlfriend at the time. Yeah. And uh, it was a big deal for, for him. And uh, I remember it's big deal for all of us because it was like, yeah. oh my gosh, you're going across country with like your yes. girlfriend. Yeah. 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 And um, so what we you were talking filming... about love, sex, and you too. Thank you. Thank right. you so much for saying that. That was a chapter yeah. in the book. And that was like the to us, those were the important things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. religion was in there too. Oh, love, love sex, religion, and you too. Yeah, yeah. Something like I remember it was like these. It was all, it was literally, those were the like talking points of the cabin kids. Like that, that we That's always right. had conversations yeah. about those things, you know? Oh like, my God. Yeah. I've, so I've been thinking a lot about that time because of this podcast. And then I've had this whole thing where like I was just losing stuff, like the technology of VHS, this weird thing called SVHS, which was triple the resolution, but a big deal. Yep. Yeah. It was like a big, but there's been a weird thing in my trying to preserve those projects in particular where there's 
it's like super dark. There's something with the black levels. I've been having troubles. I've been like panicked trying to preserve some of this stuff. Anyway, that's why I've been spending a lot of time with it. Then there's the 20th anniversary. There's this thing with Twinkie though that I saw recently and it was from that night. I don't know. He's it's like wearing a Goodwill hunt, Goodwill hunting, <laughs> Goodwill coat, <laughs> but like a raincoat, like a, a beige Ankle yeah, like a London raincoat. fog raincoat. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. like a, a trench coat. Your famous blue, blue raincoat. But like, so for some reason, <laughs> I filmed this thing, and he, there's a phone booth, like a f- old fashioned. Yeah. Superman changed. Like Superman could run in there and changed into his clo- his uniform or whatever, uh, or take off his Clark Kent clothes in this full length phone booth by Sharon Center in Ohio and. So I follow Twinkie to this thing, and for some reason I direct him to like pretend like you're having a fight on the phone. And I'm watching yeah. this now, out you know, 20 years later. I haven't seen it, and his acting is pretty good. Like the whole thing, I'm watching it. He's like, no, no, he's like having this fight. Like all I said was like, just pretend you're having a fight on the telephone, and it's kind of like way better than it should have been. <laughs> like yeah. he really gave something and then like he hangs up and leaves. But it was like, you know, when you're doing one half of a conversation, there was a lot going on. Like he was, yeah. he was starting sentences and stopping them. It just seemed like he was, he was a little too good at this. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't give that a second thought. <laughs> and so the idea then when you're starting to talk about putting Twinkie in a movie, both between like, I mean, Twinkie just looks cool. Twinkie should be in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> And now yeah. I know, and like, that fucking voice, that. I, yeah. that's a that's a yeah. villain's voice. I mean, a ma- that or, or that's just a strong, like, deep, rich voice that he could do something. Just with. imagine that voice, though. I mean, because here's the thing: is there Twinkie speaks with a lot of remorse, a lot of like humbleness, a lot. Imagine that voice being completely emotionless. There's no oh. remorse. Like th- I'm doing this because I want to do this. Oh, Imagine yeah, like Twinkie, delicious, yeah, yeah. Imagine Twinkie, like Twinkie's persona, but I'm doing this because I want to do this. You're suffering, uh, because I want you to suffer. <laughs> oh my god! But so it's this, Twinkie doing that. It's it's like it's it's like Twinkie's stature. But you got to imagine him and like like jeans that are like so fucking tight and he's just like no shirt and like scratches and just he's just like he's just so he's just constantly just fucking like just always just like ready he's just always pumped he's just always like flexed and just like i am at my tensile strength right now is so fucking strong that if i wanted to just the force of me moving will snap your fucking neck. And just Twinkie always moving like that with the mullet. Like, and I want it to be like, I want the scene in this movie, like when society falls, that's when he's like finally, and he like like haphazardly like shaves the mullet into his head, like, like cuts this off. And he's like, This is how I've always wanted to look. Like he's transforming, he is 
shedding the Clark Kent. He's become, but it's a bad Superman that he's becoming. Like he's like Superman three. Yeah, he's like <laughs> he's like cutting this off and like cuts his head and he's like bleeding from a head wound, <gasps> but he's like shaving this off into a mullet because he wants it, and he's just like. Finally, this is fine. This is my moment. This is what I want. And it's Twinkie's voice saying it. And he's just like, he's psyching oh. himself up because he is in his fucking element and he finally wants it and he gets it. He's wanted it his whole life and he gets it. And he's like, and I'm coming for that fucking fat fucker. He is mine. And just like, and like, why? Why is he yours? Why do you need him? And like, what does that mean? And just like, Oh, I like it's it's because Twinkie is the sweetest person I have ever met in my entire life. And the idea of him being I know he can be the best villain I've ever seen in my entire life. I know he has a potential for that and I need to see it. I need <laughs> to see it. Like, I mean, can you just see that? Like, can you just see it? Like, he's yeah, just now, like, yeah, like, he's just like this mild mannered guy. He's Twinkie. He's just Twinkie. But it's like. It's like he's just watching TV and he flips through and he just sees like the broadcast right before it goes to snow, you know, of like society is just collapsing on our ears. And he's just like, like it goes to snow and he just like reaches up and he like clicks off the TV. No words, like no words the whole time. This is how it opens. Like it's just like setting the stage. You see one click blurb that may, might say like, <laughs> And there has been no word from the national government on what's going to happen. And it just cuts the snow. And he just like, you just like you, it cuts to him and it's just a deadpan face. And then all of a sudden it's just. <laughs> and he like clicks off the TV and the next shot is him. Just like, just like a quick, like he's just like cutting hair. And at the end, it's just this ragged, I mean, fucking like just down to the scalp in some places, like mullet and a crowbar and just fucking. And that's all like tight, skinny jeans, no shoes, like high waters a little bit. So you can see his ankles and just fucking no shirt and just a crowbar. And he's just like, I am fucking ready. Like you can just see it in his like persona. And that's. That's the opening of the movie. Like, oh my god, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Well, this so the, the the there are three things that occur to me. One is like, oh yeah, Twinkie is this like kind of secret great actor. Yeah. Evidently, yeah. That I learned in retrospect. Two, I'm not sure what the order is of these these other two. It will kind of based off what you just said. Like, we may not need a Stephen King framework. At I don't all. think so. No, but no, no. Ways, I don't know. Feels like one of those cut scenes from the original stand of like this is what's happening across yes. the country when shit goes south. Yeah. Um, then, oh, I then I sorry, go ahead. About those into the like the uncut edition. That's it's basically he adds all those little vignettes, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. no, that's great. No, I like that. So there's a little bit of a tie there, but then that's so the that 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 sort of second point, such as it such as it might be, is that. We may not need the framework of a, a dollar baby. But the other thing is that if we take all of that thought you've given to that dynamic, that character, and superimpose it on the framework of a dollar baby, like I'm I can barely remember one for the road. But I know it has to do with vampires. I know it has to do with like 
people stuck in a circumstance. So I was I started to think of like I don't remember what the dynamic of those characters are, but like maybe two people stuck in that place. Maybe one of them is a I don't remember if there's a vampire there. Sorry, but like basically mm-hmm. taking the underlying motivations that you've thought through so carefully and putting that as you know they say like in movies or whatever, like it should be that you're trying not to cry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's all this stuff that makes it powerful that's under the surface. So if we take the we have all of the armor armor is not the right word. We have all of the sort of psychological fireworks that you've just described but we put that as like underlying character motivation so when you talk about a cannibal that could be a vampire and and the look of his character could be one of these characters that's not or maybe they do describe it but we don't have to adhere to the way that person looks so it could be this weird like hybrid of Either we could just roll with like this vision that you have. Well, that I am so on. You know what? No, no. That, but have you ever seen Thirty Days of Night? Did you ever watch that I've movie? I've always been curious about that, though. Okay, so it, it's based on a graphic novel, and it's basically like where it, it, it's the ultimate vampire playground because they go up into Alaska. Yeah, where the sun never in, rises. For yeah, while. where the sun never yeah. rises for like thirty days. That's the whole thirty days of night is where. They spend an entire month in darkness. So these vampires for 24 hours a day terrorize this town, basically, and slowly and methodically pick off person by person because it's isolated. It's dark for 24 hours a day for an entire month, and they just have a sadistic pleasure in torturing this town for 30 days, right? And how the people deal with that. So the idea of him being a vampire during that blizzard and like seeing him in the snow in like just jeans with a fucking crowbar, but different to the desert. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, a desert is a desert, right? Like, like technically Antarctica is a desert, right? Like, Oh man. And to see that he's unaffected by that cold, like standing, like maybe the guy goes out, he hears the holes. Oh shit. He hears the whole story about this town in the bar, right? And all the locals like feed him the story, they, the, their urban legend, their versions, right? And maybe they all center around the cannibal. And then, like, the guy who's hearing the story, like, one more for the road is just like, man, fucking locals just like fucking with me. <laughs> and, like, and they're like, don't go out in this storm. Like, this is like, this is, you don't go out in storms like this. Like, we're all hunkering down here. And he's just like, finally, he's just like, you guys are just trying to spook me. Like, I'm going to go to my hotel. I just have like 10 more miles to make it. And, like, he goes out and fucking as we've seen these vignettes of the quote unquote cannibal, there he is standing like <laughs> ready and just as G like the snow, like coming across, like it's so bad. It's horizontal and he's standing there like in his jeans and that's it. Like no shirt unaffected by the fucking snow. Oh my God, that's fucking, that's powerful. That's, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Oh, I'm going to have to listen to one more for the road one more time. I think that is, yeah. Well, 
I'm not 100%. Is that an audio? I have so much, Dave. I have so much shit I need to do that I've promised I would do that I can't start writing the script, and I'm going to start writing the script because this is. This oh is yeah, you gotta this follow. Is, you gotta follow the the muse. We, this we, is we, like like uh, the the whole that whole like scene of him like seeing the fall of society. Like you could totally tie that to he's watching. He's watching Salem's Lot fall, and he's like, "I could fight the vampires. It's Salem's or Lot. I could finally be a vampire. Happen. You know, yeah, yeah. like we could tie it into the universe oh, you know, without shit. having to say it." You know? But then all the stories that those locals tell about one more for the road, maybe that's the like one type two vampire that survived Salem's lot. You don't know about type, type one, twos, no, and threes. You I also know started to think about the kid, like the feral nature of this character reminded me of the kid in the stand, like that guy. The stand or the um Blood Meridian. What's the kid? Oh from? yeah, Toad Vine and the Kid. No. Um the kid being like at uh unfortunately one of the few things i remember is like the <laughs> it's the sexual component between him and uh trash can man at one point oh but yeah 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 like maniac. <laughs> yeah but i always sort of pictured him like i kind of pictured him i, I kind of like um in the recent it uh henry the like the psychopath the, oh yeah, the, yeah yeah he's got a mullet and he's a maniac yep. <laughs> yeah 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 yep. uh, Anyway, that that's probably not the right avenue, but I like this idea of it being sort of we can allude to parts of the um, the larger whole of the Stephen King universe by yeah. maybe silently having it start with that moment. Well, and we could pay things. homages. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like we, could, yeah. we, we we without necessarily doing a dollar baby thing. I just we could do that too because that's a fun way to legitimize it. Yeah, you know? and it could be like the framework could be. Liberating is not exactly the right word, but um, an interesting thing to where we can the, the very rich, like the very rich world that you've concocted and 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 are and and detailed here could somehow be applied to this other thing. So so it would it would be so un, so much more than what would be expected of a, like a beat for beat costume for costume line for it could even still be line for line but if it's yeah. informed by that much subtext of this whole other thing that's going on right could be like right. i don't know it'd be really distinct and interesting. I, I i just so um have you ever seen the postman the movie the postman? actually no my my okay. best recollection of the postman is is the time in which it was discussed on awesome uh so there's a <laughs> so um I, I feel that Waterworld and The Postman, like Kevin Costner, really like those two movies essentially ruined his career. Um, and I don't feel they should have. I think they should have escalated him. I think Waterworld was fantastic. I loved it. I think everybody, people just really had a hard time that that much money got spent on a movie. I think that when you really dissect all of the complaints about Waterworld, it was. I can't believe they spent this much on a movie. It, it, they wanted it to fail because he had spent so much money. And then the postman, it was almost like the same thing. Like, well, he spent this, all this money on this post-apocalyptic thing. And now he's spending all this money on another post-apocalyptic thing. And it just was, I feel like the postman failed because they made Waterworld fail. Both of those were fantastic movies and God 
damn, Kevin Costner was so great in both of them. Like, he was so good. And The Postman is great, not just for Kevin Costner's performance, but actually Will Patton, the guy who reads a lot of the, in the last eight years, he's read a lot of Stephen King's audiobooks. He read the entire Mr. Mercedes trilogy. Yeah. He read um, a couple he, other ones. I think recently. he read Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep, yeah, he read Doctor Sleep too. He's in the Postman, and there's this great, there's this great confession that he does to Kevin Costner's character, because the Postman takes place in a post-apocalyptic world. You don't know what happened in the world; you just know society fell. Right, the society as we know it fell, mm-hmm. and at one point. So so Will Patton's character um leads the army of 8 which is essentially like the bandits of this new world that exists he leads them and he has this moment with Kevin Costner where he said do you know what I did before the world fell and Kevin Costner's like no I have no idea he's like I sold which is funny because this makes me think of Yojimbo too. It, it's always made me think of Yojimbo. He he sold. Um, he's like I sold copy machines. That's oh. what he, you know, like, and and that like there's this big moment where he's like I was I sold copy machines and society fell and now I run an army. Like that. That's essentially oh. like. Like he's like, I became it took society falling for me to reach my potential. That's that's yeah. the message that he's trying to deliver is like it took the sacrifice of all of society for me to get to where I am. And he's okay with that because now he gets to be who he's supposed to be. Yeah, that's the fucking cannibal. That's yeah. like I'm trying to synthesize that into an entire that one conversation into an entire movie. Like I want to see, like I want to see those moments with that guy where he realizes I don't sell copy machines anymore. I run fucking armies. That's what I do. I want to see that moment where he realizes that. Like (laughs) I want to, I want to try to like that to me, that's a fucking movie. Not like, of course the postman is awesome. I want to see you transition from that copy salesman into this army of general. That's what I want to see. Like, And, oh my god. Yeah. I want to see you make this movie. I'm going yeah. to help make it happen. <laughs> yeah. So and that and that to me that is the cannibal. That's like I've been waiting for this like in in and it comes from a personal thing for me where uh there's this tool song called The Wave, I think is what it's called. And it's just basically like I wish the wave would come in and destroy California to just like dis- that because the world like what would the world be if that was gone right if 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 that if that what would you do if all that like all this shit that you've built on on a house of sand basically all it's going to take is one wave to wash it away and that's really what's going to define what a what what a human being is what a man is and all those things and so there's this guy that i taught with for a while at at which I don't care. You can beep that or not because they're closed now. <laughs> um, 
but now I, you're free to be who you want to be. Like, yeah, <laughs> where we used where we used to say like, to some I finally had the like because we kind of would talk about stuff and we really liked Tool. We really liked a lot of different things, and uh, I finally I, I I I finally said I had the balls to say to him one day, like sometimes do you wish that like the apocalypse would happen just so you wouldn't have to deal with all this bullshit. Cause then you could just be, then there would be no rules. You could do whatever you wanted to do. He's like every day. I'm like, God, oh me too. God, me yeah. too. Like, like there, there's, there's like, seriously, I like at least once a day, I'm like, please just let this be the day. Let this be the day the missiles fly. Let this be the day the zombie outbreak happens. Let this be the day something. So I can stop dealing with this bullshit that doesn't matter. And I can just get down to surviving because right now everybody's trying to sell me what I'm doing is trying to survive. This is bullshit. I'm playing somebody else's game that I don't like. I want to play the real game. That's what I want to do. I'm going to have to officially say like, this is way more interesting than a dollar baby. (laughs) Like you got it all there. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's so much like, and you that so, it, so that's the two characters. So that like yeah. so if you're faced with that situation, there's going to be two ends of the spectrum. There's the cannibal and there's the cannibalized. And which one are you going to be? And, and we don't even have to get people names. You no. Never <laughs> no. It could be just like almost no exposition. The villain, the victim, like like you could apply anything to either one of them. Right. Like, like, and that's the other thing too, is like the cannibal suffers. He like, like he doesn't, you like it. Yes. He's winning. Yes. Like all those other people that I'm talking about that he interacts with, he, he might cannibalize those people too. He doesn't care about them though. That's just fuel to get him to the cannibalize, which is that other guy, the other end of the spectrum that that's all he actually cares about. And, and it's this, and how does that one-sided mentality, how does that affect both of those ends of the spectrum? Because, you know, the cannibalized, he only worries about surviving the, like, and what is he giving up for that survival? The cannibal, what is he giving up to get, like, he might be passing ample opportunities to not be a cannibal right like you don't have to be this way he chooses it every time though like oh man there's like there's like so much to this where it's like you like this like counterplay and i just see this like this like ebb and flow of scenes that are like you know the 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 guy the, the guy running makes a choice and then how does the cannibal interact with that same choice later on down the road? You know what I mean? Like, like maybe this guy is running. He interacts with people. He has a choice. I could kill these people because they're going to tell the cannibal where I went. Right. Or I could let them live. The cannibal could get to those people and be like, I could kill these people and eat them. I could find out which way the other guy went and then eat them. I could just let them go. But it's it's this like, oh man, I just I just see like there's no clear cut at the end of the day, and this is where I struggle with like how am I gonna pull this off? 
at the end of the day, there's no clear cut villain and victim. Like you end up finding that both ends of the spectrum are actually a circle that just came back together. You know what I mean? The guy running is doing awful things to try to survive. The cannibal is like, he might be just letting people live. He's doing things that like the other guy might not have done because he just has that one eyed goal of like, I just want this one guy. That's all I fucking want. Right. Like, you know, it's crazy as I, I had a, co a conversation with a colleague today where he was talking about something that I'd not actually heard uh, in, in filmmaking where the first shot of a movie, I don't know whose philosophy this is, whatever, but the first shot of the movie tells the whole story. Yeah. And so does the last shot of the movie. That's so lost. Be, That's lost is what oh, that is. Really? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 But I think less in the sense that they're the same shots in a way or whatever but, right. but like in this instance like you, you could do a similar thing with the full circle where it's like one part starts with one guy and one part ends with one guy and in a way something about the uh similarity of those shots wordlessly can sort of say that thing about how maybe they're the same or i don't know there's right. it's just like rife for it. oh man can you see it like can you see I it can, all a like, lot from what you described and, man. and just hearing you tell it <laughs> oh man you got the there's a movie there <laughs> yeah and there's a I, cast I there. like you've talked about it basically between you and twinkie of being those two guys like yeah it's not like yeah. we even need to be i mean that's achievable <laughs> that's pretty cool absolutely i mean like there because <laughs> part of it is like out of necessity it's like okay how could we make a movie with like the people that i know would be willing to make a movie, right? And like, okay, so there's this. And the the mullet, like it totally inspired me. Like Twinkie, it, like, and I and I love how like Twinkie loves he that guy comes back to Mad Max. Like that, I, I swear, he's just like he's it's just JCPD. A, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> and and so it's like we in the heat, like when we saw him in Colorado in in uh in Des Moines, like he's just got that like cut look of somebody that just like who could just go for a hundred miles and still <laughs> kick your ass you know what i mean like, <laughs> and, and, and like and and i want that like that's the whole and and that's the premise of the movie is it all is going to culminate to this one last standoff and who has the strength to come out on top of that standoff and but well, here's the problem regard if the movie comes off right you don't know who's going to win in that standoff but regardless of who wins they could be perceived as the hero they could be perceived as the victim they could be perceived as the like villain they could be perceived as like whoever you don't know who's going to win you think it might be the 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 but the the i don't even want to say but it's just like the it culminates into this standoff of what are we going to do with this opportunity that we've been we've been given you know like i, I mean because you could see the fall of society as like that would be awesome right because then we could rebuild it and on like and fix all of the problems or we could totally just accentuate all of the problems we already have and make them worse in that situation and it's like and there's merit to both of those like 
whether or not you want to admit it, there is merit to both of those. I mean, there's something there, right? Like, I, I like I got something there. I yeah, just don't you get so fired up, and then like I, I mean, uh, inter- they say interested is interesting. So like someone's really passionate about something, it's easy to get sucked in. Oh but yeah, that's also so like you're super excited about it, but you're also like describing a thing, and like I can see it, and it's uh, it's interesting. Like the, yeah, I I haven't seen that story, and even if I had, like there's ways to make it original, but but I haven't. <laughs> so yeah. Man, I gotta work. I gotta get. I gotta get cracking on that. Well, we can work on that stuff uh, together. I mean, and, and right here we got a lot of it down. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I, I was just thinking. I was like, I need to listen to this when I'm not drunk because there's been a lot of really great ideas that have like I, I came into this conversation just picturing Twinkie in just jeans and a, with a crowbar chasing me across the desert, but then like that image of him like watching it and like smiling and like turning oh, yeah. around, like after the, like the broadcast fall and he like just turns off the TV. Whereas most people would be like, oh, what do we do? The TV doesn't tell us what to do. And he totally knows what to do. He's like, this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah. And seeing that, seeing for. that, that, that sequence as you described it, like where you're basically just watching him. Like I can see it so clearly like you're hearing the TV but this is slow pushing on on him. And actually, I had this. There's a shot of me in a movie Larry made, <laughs> where I there's a phone ringing, and there's some context to it that I actually don't even quite remember. But he does this slow push in on me as my face just kind of like glazes over, and it's a kind of funny because <laughs> I sit the microphone. <laughs> he at the time he and I both love Boogie Nights. Or yeah, kind of yeah. funny, and uh, or I come to find it funny. <laughs> I don't know that I definitely did not at first, but I have anyway. But he's like, This is like that's he's describing it to me as the director. He's like, This is like that scene in Boogie Nights where the firecrackers are going off, and like Mark Wahlberg is just sitting there, and it starts to zoom in on him, and he like zones out, and his lip starts to kind of curl, and you don't really know what he's thinking, and so. That was kind of what I was going for. Yeah. yeah. Then the production company that he created at the end is literally a still frame of that that moment from Boogie Nights. And you hear him say, like, from Boogie Nights, that's right. When he, like, rubs his dick. Anyway. (laughs) But, like, I was kind of picturing that through our own weird microcosm lexicon. Uh, but, But on Twinkie, hearing the broadcast and seeing the look on your face that you were, like, kind of channeling from your own mind. And I'm like, and that's so amazing because it says it all. Like, you don't have to say anything. You have the news report. Yeah. But you see the look on his face. The yeah. camera kind of maybe pushes in on him. And then he, it, it's all on his face. And then he leaves the frame. But you know everything. Like, yeah. you know, like, what, yeah. And oh, there's like, there's no explanation on what caused society to fall. It just fell. Yeah. That's that all that matter. matters to him. That's <laughs> yeah. all that matters to him. Like, finally. You know? yes finally you know and that it speaks to that like this feeling i i mean i still carry this sometimes there are some days where i'm like maybe today's the day that the nukes fly you know like and i can just give up all this bullshit you know and yeah there's something to that too and like just as a root of where a story comes from even if it's not even if that's not the story but like yeah so so much of like what you described is like the best it's both like a great pitch, like a great pitch yeah. meeting. But also if I heard 
someone interviewed about a movie I hadn't seen yet. And that was the interview. I'd be like, oh, I got to see that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, Twinkies who like the cannibal is who I picture who I'd want to be if society fell. But I'm pretty sure my character is who exactly who I would be if society. Yeah. Fell. And that's you a lot I mean? of us, right? Like, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I identify with one or both of those people in, in some yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, Probably and that's different. what make like I mean that's what's great about it being both ends of the spectrum is like it's yeah. like you can relate to both of those characters like completely you know yeah and I, and I like, thought about like you know t even a title of like the cannibal and the cannibalized or a title of the wave or you know like all these things like they start to present yeah. themselves as like great metaphors and vehicles through talking about certain yeah you got a lot going on there that the, yeah. would be so exciting to see through in some Shit. way. <laughs> I gotta get a treatment put together. Fuck. But but we could do all that together. Like you yes, know, yeah. Uh, I don't want to lose that. I just saw this idea of let's just fucking make something. Let's make like let's 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 ramp this up to eleven. Look what, what could we do at eleven? Like we're at we're at like eight or nine right now. What would we look at? <laughs> what would we look like at eleven? And I gotta here. Let me find you. And this is a great. Uh, jj abrams ted talk have you watched that i don't know if i have but i think i'm aware of it possibly maybe even through this show or maybe i watched it because of this no show. i talked about it it's the, it's the mystery box it's this is um oh yeah the I mystery box and and it it's his it's his ted talk he he equates this out oh cancel uh what do i want to do i want to do the chat he basically talks about how he has this um Ooh, i oh, see you back there she's back there tear it in here <laughs> yeah um so there's a youtube video link i sent in the chat just you don't have to watch that right now it's like 20 minutes long it's a if you've seen a ted talk i mean you know ted talks oh, are yeah. already awesome yeah, um, but this is J.J. Abrams, who is somebody that is near and dear to both of us, giving a TED talk. Um, he equates it to his creative process is how he he has kept this magic kit called the mystery box. He got it when he was a kid. This is how I like it's stuff like this that makes me wonder, like. These people were destined to be who they were. I could never be this kid where he got this thing and he never opened it. It was more important as a kid. The mister it being the mystery box was better than whatever was inside of it. Oh, wow. So he still has it and it's still sealed. And he's like, and, and if you think to lost, there is a, he like, remember, there's an analogy that Ben Linus gives. Or somebody gives where it's like, imagine there's a box somewhere on this island and it could be anything you wanted it to be, right? And and they say that somewhere in Lost and then you hear him give this TED Talk. It's based on this fucking toy that he has. Oh. Where, he's like, where he's like, I never opened it because it was more special to me thinking that it could be anything inside there than whatever was in there. It was more important to me to know to keep it as the mystery box. But he ties all of that to there's no excuse 
if you want to make, if you want to create, there's no excuse in this day and age to not create. Basically, yeah. Like, yeah. that's his message. It's it's so it's so easy for you to be able to rent the equipment and 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 to watch the internet to learn how to use it to be able to create anything you want to create. So stop making excuses and just go out and create. And and uh, it's a great message when we're sitting here talking and dreaming about making a movie together, but like that can't like, man, and I just, don't you just want to see Twinkie run around with a fucking crowbar? Of course. And yeah. Like, yeah. Well, now I want to like be a part of making that happen. Yeah. And that's like the whole thing with the dreaming out loud thing that we always talked about that, uh, or that, that, that is the moniker for so many things that we've done because like, especially I feel like you need, you can do things on your own, but there's, you know, whether it's like needing someone else to stand in front of the camera, or like, you need kind of some, some willing participants. You need a little bit of like a band. You need yeah. a losers club to like rally behind. Like it's important it's to find to those keep you compadres. in check. Like it's not just that. I don't think that you need supporters. I'm not worried about supporters. You can always find supporters, right? You need somebody that's just willing to be like, well, what about this? To, to be able to say, I hadn't even thought of that. That That's where I think the importance of collaboration yeah, comes Yeah, just to in. help you. I mean, that's one thing I think that I, I've i noticed, like, in studying a lot of musicians' careers, there's always some, there's the person doing the thing. And then there's, Kevin Smith calls it, the, this to take it out of the musician realm, Kevin Smith calls it the battery. Like, yeah. Scott Mosher, for many years, his producer was the battery that helped like energize, like make, help him make his ideas happen. Like you, you get excited about something, but if you're just like by yourself, you don't even <laughs> tell anyone about. So the yeah. whole thing about dreaming out loud, it's like you're like making your, yeah, you 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 make those things and you yeah. make them. And that's a, a special thing about our group of friends is that we've been doing that since since we all started to get to know each other and in uh, supportive of it and like. And excited for it. Yeah, you're right. Like that is yeah. important too, is to have those people. I and yeah. I and just, a lot of it is about the people too. And then, like I was saying where I you know, I'm working on all of these different things and it's hard to know what I was like, I need to I need to focus on some things and complete them and rather than yeah doing like just a little bit in all these different areas. But some but a lot of times what you in the best case scenario, there's this one thing that you can't help but do. Like, you, you, your focus is, you don't have to decide on something because it's, it's the thing you can't ignore. And so I guess I haven't had a strong enough thing I can't ignore outside of long walk, short drink. Yeah. Enough to like be able to like say, hey, like I'm having to sort of debate with myself, like what to what to devote that time to. But when something like this comes up that can't be ignored, it's, it's kind of great because like, you yeah. uh, it's that thing where you, you know, if whether it keeps you up at night or, or whatever it is, or is the, th the glue that hold that makes sure you see your friends and you know, like whatever, well, you know, it's, so it's, that's an extra exciting bit about this idea. It's like that, that fire under your butt right now that I can see is there. That yeah. makes me excited, and, yeah. and uh, it's like, well, we don't want that to go away. This stuff's all going to be there. No one yeah. else is going to remaster Dreaming Out Loud <laughs> or, or oh, finish shit. the documentary that I shot about myself in 2015. 
it's like that's just gonna be there just think of the documentary you'll get to make about the making of the cannibal like <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, I mean, that's all so exciting. I, I can't believe I, I had no idea we'd get to such a place in our king corner, yeah. but I'm pretty happy about it. Cannibal or cannibalized? I like the idea of the title being cannibalized. Like, oh, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and just, I mean, because I, I, I mean, in, in essence, the cannibal has been cannibalized by society, right? Like, they've eaten him up, and this is what they've spit out is this society oh. has created this this cannibal they've cannibalized this human being into a cannibal you know and like yeah uh i don't know man like i just because it's like me versus twinkie so i have like you want to say oh well like you know palmer outweighs twinkie by like 200 for 300 pounds probably 300 pounds uh he outweighs so like you have that advantage but then you have like the fight cub, like skinny guys fight until they're dead, right? Like, so it's like who would win in that? Like, there's no way, there's no way you could like even picture like who could win in that scenario and just like and pitting those two those two archetypes into this adversarial role of survival and just in a it while society is falling around down their ears. I love that idea of they are dead set. One is dead set on survival and one is dead set on consumption while society is falling around down their ears, uh, falling well, down also, around their ears. It's easy to imagine in some ways, like I said, both all of us would relate to one of those people at some point in time, maybe sometimes yeah. both. So in some ways it is two sides of the same coin. It's great. Joker, Batman, you know, that kind yeah, of stuff yeah, to yeah. where, and in a short film, you, not going to feature too, but especially in a short film, you we no exposition, no answers. It doesn't matter. Like it's oh. just enough to like present the question in some yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Oh man, so. I have the, I have other King stuff, but I feel like like if that is a role in King Corner is pretty great. And then what the other time, King stuff do you have? Let's hear it, man. Well, I did. um Three I finished. Beers. I'm in here. I'm in for the long haul. All right. <laughs> you know, uh, too. Uh, not that we should adhere to it, but there's something fun about one more for the road and the long walk, short drink sort of idea of like the, the uh, tr drink that the, whatever <laughs> that does. A, uh, Listen, we can. We don't have to make just one movie. We can make two. We right. can make multiple movies, right? Like, like we could. We could do the Dollar Baby thing and do one more for the road, and let's and we and be totally. We could just make one more for the road well, right? As a movie. And then make and then make cannibalized, you know, and be working uh, on cannibalized. Cannibalized like, sounds so exciting though. <laughs> I that know one, that that's the one that you're on. That's what I mean, like when you're trying to pick projects. Like I think basically like I like the idea of doing a dollar baby, but you sit on so on fire for cannibalized. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like the way to that's oh like, man. I know like it just <laughs> It, and it's just this idea. It's so beautiful and appealing to me. It's just I, the pursuit. Because pursuit already creates anxiety, you know, especially yeah. as like a big person being pursued because it's, you just already have the stigma of I'm not going to outlast my pursuer because I'm a big person. I don't have the longevity to do that, you know. And so how would a 
how would I survive being pursued by Twinkie, who could probably last for days without stopping, you know, and what, what would, what would I resort to as the cannibalized? Like, who would I sacrifice? Who would I, you know, like, what would I be willing to do? Because I obviously am outmatched in just stamina, right? Like, what would but I be willing to do? Maybe you've been preparing for this, too. Maybe you've been waiting for this, too, in, yeah. some, in a different way. Like, maybe you've been scared of it, so you're super prepared. Oh, yes, that's a totally, <laughs> oh, shit. Like, like I've, I've totally sucked one. into, like, the Fox News idea of it, right? Like, like a fear, like living through fear. Whereas, like, Twinkie's, like, totally living through opportunity, you know? And uh, what's the diff? What is those two? Oh man, fear versus opportunity. Well, and it's interesting. Be uh, or I don't know. Interesting, but uh, you had sent me that thing this morning about uh, true ro- true romance and the how that initial Quentin Tarantino script. Actually, that was his first script, and it it is in that same kind of non-linear storytelling that you might he's always been tarantino that's what's so awesome yeah well in a way like yes and no that i think that was where he found his voice i remember him talking uh on a talk show about his first attempt to make a movie and i thought about this kind of recently actually uh the blue where he's like it was amateurish he's like and not in a charming way like this thing i tried did not work (laughs) yeah (laughs) before he made reservoir dogs and stuff but but his script for True Romance, he didn't make. Uh, Tony Scott, I got right, yeah. And we've talked about Tony Scott on this show before, and, sure. and True Romance is such a goddamn gem. Um, but yeah, the the as a movie, as it was produced in what ninety three, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was from his script, but and he. But so he was talking that clip you sent me about the dramatic structure, like the dramatic implications of the structural organization that he had initially presented. So I listened to that like six minute clip, and actually, we'll, maybe we should tweet that out with. Uh, I think we'll include this at some point in probably fifty one, um, where he talks about like this happens and then this happens, and what's interesting about that organization uh, of events is like. I think the first thing is like you, you you see Clarence and Alabama meet in the bar, but then it jumps to like maybe Drexel, some shit going on with Drexel, and then and then you go you you see like Alabama. I don't know. It's it's weird. Like you don't you don't get the background of like why Clarence murders Drexel and all this. You, you kind of there's a different game being played with the uh, audience's understanding of what's going on and whether or not say Clarence and Alabama are good guys or bad guys or there's, there's more to it than that. I'm not doing a great job of encapsulating it, but it, it was pretty interesting about how it changes when you just change the order of events in which things are revealed, like where the audience is in their understanding or perception of these characters. And so when you're talking about like the cannibal and the cannibalized, and not knowing who is the the villain and who is the the hero, um, we could fuck around a lot too with whether or not any of that's ever revealed. But just like at the order, the way that you see certain things, yeah. And in some ways, yeah. like 
the uh, it could be that the cannibalized like seems like the victim because he's he's preparing in a reactive way to protect himself seemingly. Right. Right. Uh, but and the cannibal seems like this like sort of villain and but maybe maybe it's not so clear cut. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. But, but I mean, I could <laughs> see the cannibalized like sacrificing people to the cannibal to try to like slow him down or yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and maybe maybe these these sacrifices that the cannibalized is willing to make to ensure his survival. Maybe maybe those are maybe it's implied that some of those sacrifices were people that were important to the cannibal, you know, and this is, this is retaliatory, you know, and, but then later on you realize, nope, the cannibal is just a fucking cannibal and he just wants to eat that guy. Yeah. And it's just random. It's just random. And like, this is the one that like got away. And so he's going to pursue him. You know, I want there to be that question. I want there to be like, is the cannibalized did he do something to bring on this wrath or is it just a random thing that the cannibal is just i have i have pegged you as mine and i will not stop until that is true oh, you know? oh yeah, yeah like uh and and i want that like i want that the the one thing about the cannibal that is crucial is he is a Mike Michael Myers esque unstoppable force? It doesn't yeah. matter what the cannibalize does, the cannibal just stomps right through it. Like it just he just keeps going. It's a, he's an unstoppable force of pursuit. That <laughs> it's no so matter- exciting that dichotomy too of the cannibal and the cannibalized. Like that that seems like a yeah. great title because there's all the things we're talking about. It's like there's so much room for discussion about who is the cannibal and who is the cannibalized potentially. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this is, this is exciting to have been rolling around in and your head. No. And no, I don't think any post-apocalyptic like post-apocalyptic movies fall into two categories. Six months after the po- apocalypse happened or the moment it's happening. Nothing oh, takes yeah. place while it's happening, while that fall is happening. Like you see the moments that lead up to the fall, you see six months after it. Um, I think um Fear the Walking Dead is is the closest, and I haven't even watched anything of that show. Um that but one's I like th- starts when it starts like that little like the place movie. in in the weeks between Rick getting like isn't that supposed to take place between like Rick getting knocked out and Rick waking up like that's where uh, that was the idea of maybe that was of the, the idea they they've strayed a little bit but it starts with everything is normal it's a little bit like the 2004 Dawn of the Dead where, like, okay sudden, okay okay yeah 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 whereas when you, the 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 show The Walking Dead like somebody wakes up from the coma from a coma it's that's a little bit like the beginning of 28 days later where yeah 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 but in a way like the is it 78 uh, the the original dawn of the dead like um takes play like they're they go back and forth to the newscasts as it's oh, kind of yeah 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 you know, this, you're right 
this yep. few people, but they're in this like secluded. Even the place. retelling of Dawn of the Dead does that because they are still watching the news broadcasts in the mall and everything. You're right. That is kind of like it's straddling that moment. That's that that is literally the dawn because there's night and then there's dawn and then day. And yeah, so, I feel like day, yeah, day seems a little after, but like but yeah, all of like all of what it's a, such a great springboard for a in some ways like this blank slate of a do over, but obviously one that comes with all of what the baggage of whatever came before. So like that cannibal is waiting to become the cannibal. He's had to, I did, to wait. And, and, and you have to watch the postman cause you'll see that scene and you'll know it's a very, it's a scene that really stuck with me where he's just like, do you know what I did before the war before, before the fall? I think, I don't know if he says the war or the fall, but you know what I did before the fall? No, I have no idea. Like he doesn't like Kevin Costner. He's Kevin Costner. He doesn't even give a fuck. <laughs> and the guy's like, <laughs> it's so awesome. And like, he just plays it. So like, God damn, it's such a great movie. And then, and then Will Patton is just like, he's just like, I sold copy machines. And I'm just like this, that man that man waited he waited for like he was waiting for this to happen he's he's one of those people that it took the fall of society to be successful you know and that's the cannibal like i want to see that movie of that man realizing yeah. his potential in the fall it's crazy of society. it could also you know? be the cannibalized you know what i mean that's, yeah yes I mean, exactly that's like making too much of any of it and we might have to make some choices but it that that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the idea of the people reaching their some sort of potential, but is it kind of their best self or not? Um, and does that and at what cost does it take to reach that potential? Yeah, which is another yeah. commentary on like yeah, that's on, stuff we on all society have to do of like anyway. <laughs> what's the cost of your potential? Like you know, yeah. what are you willing to do to meet that potential? What are you willing to let fall? for that potential you know and who, who yeah I, I i sort of hate the uh <laughs> just posing questions with that answer sometimes but but there that that idea of potential like in in the in a society that is not falling apart where things are made really clear <laughs> yeah. um you know life and death type of stuff but like who's like is that the it's this idea of the potential is that something that, like you even really want or is that something right. the thing that like been projected on you that you think you should want. That's there's a lot of interesting things there. Yeah. Uh, so here's, so this is pro like, we'll end this conversation on the cannibal and the cannibalized <laughs> now, working title. I like that title. Uh, yeah. That's an intriguing one for sure. Yeah. Um, I thought about, uh, you know, cause everything has a fucking twist ending is, what if at the end though you realize like society hasn't actually fallen and these two oh. guys just like these two guys just find they just like fell for it it's like almost like a like a um a war of the worlds esque type hoax or something hoax or, yeah that just pushed these it it was just the catalyst that these two men needed to break. Uh, oh, and yeah. and then you find out that at the end of the day, like there was actually nothing. Like they they were just they were going to find an excuse to break. 
Yeah. Um, oh, that's pretty cool. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, that's the psychosis part of that. I wish that society would fall so that I wouldn't have to deal with this bullshit. And it's like, yeah, if you wish that enough, you, your brain will make that happen and you'll buy yeah. it. And then what awful shit's going to happen then? You know, it's nice too that it's not the cop out of like, oh, it was all just a dream. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, it no, was no, more no. like this actually did happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but it didn't need to or something. Uh, yeah, so, but it was that was always going to happen. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, we'll we'll see. But it, I mean, you know, after watching Swiss Army, all the behind the scenes stuff of Swiss Army Man, and seeing all the different iterations that they went through of that story. I love that like this conversation is happening and like, and then that we're recording this so that when we actually make the cannibal and the cannibalized, we can come back to this first conversation and be like, look at what we thought this was going to be. And then look at what we have and yeah. how awesome it's going to be, you know, like, oh man, because it's going to like, I feel like there is a ton of potential there. This is a great story that I think people could relate to. And I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot there. There's a, That's and, literally, I almost just said the same thing at the same moment. And there's a lot of great layers, a lot of good enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, God damn, who doesn't want to see Twinkie running around terrorizing me in jeans <laughs> with a mullet and a crowbar? Those are his two weapons, a mullet and a crowbar, you know, and just like, <laughs> I love the idea of a mullet as a weapon. <laughs> intimidation, pure intimidation. Yeah. Like if you like, just imagine seeing Twinkie just not ripped, but just like, I take care of myself, right? Like <laughs> and that's kind of where he's at, you know, and just like skinny jeans. So they're just like, I mean, so fucking tight. You're like, how does that guy fucking breathe, right? How does he not have to piss all the time? With those that tight. And it just, sounds like he's that tightly wound. Yeah, that <laughs> they're a metaphor for that. They're they're yeah. literally they're why he's so angry and upset is because his jeans are so like. It's yeah. like, dude, if you just went like if you went with cargo jeans, <laughs> you might like carpenter jeans or like just like, loose fitting. Straight leg, something boot None cut. Of this would happen. <laughs> None of this would have happened. It's those fucking jeans that are doing it. So there are a metaphor for how wound up he is, like yeah, how fucking like right. That. And then, and then a crowbar that's almost as tall as he is. Like, like it's just the it's oh. one of those those big like crate opening crowbars. Like, how does he even have the arm strength to hold it up? Let alone hurt people with it, right? that big of a crowbar like i want that that i want that i want an obscene why would you pick that as a weapon crowbar that's how big i want it to be but he fucking wields it like a samurai sword like oh you know yeah I mean? just like so he's so adept with it you can tell he spent time doing karate in the garage by himself with that crowbar. <laughs> you know what i mean like uh, that's awesome. One and yeah. two, like I'm almost imagining it because of the weight and stuff of more like a bow staff because yes, because I, you, I, it's so heavy. You got to use two hands and operate it that yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's like 
but it, he's so adept with it. That's what I meant by, by samurai sword, not actually like using just it, the like skill of it. Yeah, he's just so he adept. Like he's just like because he's only that was what he had. That's what he liked, and that's what he like. That's what he went and beat his heavy bag up with while society was doing its thing in the garage. But now that society's fallen, he doesn't need a heavy bag anymore. He can fucking go after the cannibalized. Yeah. He can go after that motherfucker. And he's going to, like, this is what he's been waiting for. The heavy bag was the cannibalized, but now he doesn't need that anymore. You know, like, there's so uh, many, like, fun things to, uh, <laughs> or I mean, like, I'm just re remembering the time that I, like, broke my, my yes! not my heavy bag, but, <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, yep, and uh, imagine that with a crowbar, like a big yeah. fucking crowbar. So, <laughs> what other I'm king in. stuff? Tell me about what other king stuff. Let's, I finished let's Cujo. Oh, uh, what did yeah. what did you think of that? I I really enjoyed it. I th I think I missed kind of, I missed the you know missed the story, missed the stories, and it was I then I got the movie right after, and I really dug the movie. I really dug the movie. The <laughs> like, movie is actually really well done. It's a great yeah. king. I think those early King adaptations are really well done because they got, they're like, here's the best-selling author. Here's a young director. Just do whatever you want. And I think after that, they tried to do, they really tried to like zero in on the commercial success of this is just a King adaptation and just didn't want to put any money into it. These other ones, oh, yeah. you know, like Cujo is, it's really well done except for the mom from et she just screams all the fucking time like shut the fuck oh, up like oh but i was so impressed with her too and yeah. i actually didn't even yeah i don't know i was i was really on board for it um and then there's a special edition i got and so there's commentaries and stuff but i yeah and and if you think about it in some ways cujo unlike or not unlike but similar to like a courtroom drama or something like there's not a lot of different locations and stuff so mm. You know, it's at like at a certain point she's trapped in the car with the kid menaced by the dog. Here, I, yep. I actually have notes for this. <laughs> oh uh, no! The, and for those listening, if this makes it to any audience, like oh yeah, we'll, we'll this is this continues the Castle Rock saga. So like yeah. the same the same sheriff who was in the Dead Zone, he is still Bannerman. the Bannerman. He is still the sheriff in Cujo of Castle Rock, the fictitious town uh, that King has created, just like Derry. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, uh, the namesake of the new Hulu show, Hulu show that is starting at the end of this month. Uh, and I love, I, I love how King tells the castle rock stories through the perspective of the sheriff's department. And you'll see that as you're going through the chronology, uh, this is another one, like uh dead zone again, like it, it kind of tells that portion through the eyes of the sheriff's department. Cujo, it touches back to that sheriff's department. Needful things is centered. Like one of the main characters is a sheriff. Um, it, it, it gets to the point that when you start interacting with castle rock, you definitely there's an aspect of the sheriff's department that the castle county sheriffs that uh um it comes from so andy clutterbuck is he a minor character and sounds familiar and yeah i think that he is a minor character in the dead zone he's a minor character in cujo he's a he is a deputy in uh needful things needful things takes place explicitly in castle rock 
Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I've got it. He's the one that like that's I'm gonna make this shirt. This is gonna happen. So if this happens before, like if this makes it out to any audience and the shirt ends up getting made, I'm gonna sue you. Just so it's you the know. tattered shirt that the cannibal will wear before he gets yeah. completely shirtless. <laughs> but it's gonna say uh Andy Clutterbuck for Castle County Sheriff. Yeah. Uh, because he finally makes it in that same just after sunset, that collection of short stories that uh the um the the rest stop that I forget what what the, that story is, but um Andy Clutterbuck, you finally find out, makes it like he becomes the Castle County Sheriff. And so uh, I want to make a campaign shirt for him running for sheriff because you he's always the deputy, always the deputy. And then it's finally this short story that he is the actual sheriff. And you're like, poor Andy Clutterbuck, man. He has put up with <laughs> he's put up with like a serial killer, a killer dog, a fucking demon like satanist who's like taking over his entire town and he finally gets to be sheriff and you're like poor andy clutterbuck like he's seen all <laughs> of it like <laughs> so uh man that's awesome so um so you enjoyed cujo though you like yeah it? yeah like i guess i guess we could give it like a it's a pretty simple story that even i think i could synopsize where um you have a it's centered around a family that lives in castle rock you have a uh, well, hopefully it's not. I mean, she's a, a you have a, a housewife and you have a young, you know, tod, toddler aged little. No, maybe a little older than toddler. I don't know. Seven, five six, or six. Five, yeah. Five. I think you're right. Yeah. Five year old kid. And then um, an ad exec from maybe not exec, but like a guy for, like a madman, I guess, from from uh, New York who moved to Castle Rock to to raise the family. And then. You know, the wife is beautiful, but frustrated and bored. And she ends up having an affair with uh, yeah. the local kind of poet slash like tennis guy. <laughs> but not a local guy. Restorer. Like, doesn't he yeah. like, like weird shit? Yeah. Like, yeah. And he's, he's sort of actually more like he's not really central to the town, but maybe passing through. But uh, yeah. So they, so she's having an affair and, uh, the guy's business, you know, his local, his is Castle Rock. He struck out on his own in Castle Rock from like the big city in, in New York to try to make a business with his friend, with a, his colleague, and that's not going so well. And so there's some stressors in their marriage and what whatnot. And they they have a Pinto <laughs> car that's not working so well. So, so and uh, at the begin, and then this dog Cujo that becomes a central sort of. <laughs> Well, a central character, but also kind of a metaphor for like their their problems. Um, they go to get the pinto fixed at this kind of farm mechanic. Um, Anybody who's ever been in a small town, you know, there's like there's the one redneck guy that will fix your car better than anybody else for dirt cheap. Like that guy exists. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I knew that guy in Ritman, like. That that guy exists in just about every small town. There's somebody who can fix your car better than anybody else, and he's only going to do it for beer money. And that's essentially right. yeah, who yeah. this guy is, right? Like, yeah, Joe Camber, and so Joe Camber. Yeah. They, uh, initially, they go out to kind of meet him, and and they meet his wonderful Saint Bernard dog, who's really good with their his, his kind of you know five six year old son or whatever the hell. 
And, um, but by the time they come back, <laughs> by the time the wife comes back with the car to get it fixed by Joe Camber, that beloved St. Bernard had like chased a rabbit into a, like a bat's, you know, into a cave where there are bats that bit him and he's become rabid. So it's a rabid St. Bernard. 120 <laughs> pound dog. Like he's yeah, a rabid, big motherfucker. 120 pound St. Bernard dog. Yeah. Yeah. And then like a lot of that family had gone out of town and, um, and basically that rabid dog takes out a neighbor and takes out Joe Camber himself. Um, and when, uh, Donna and Tad blank on their last name. They, the mother and son, while the father's trying to fix his business out of town, they're trying to sort out their, you know, broken marriage. Um, you know, she's got a lot of guilt. She feels a lot of guilt. The son has been sort of, he's been like having these nightmares and stuff that, that I, I think are kind of, he's sensing the tension in the house and, and and projecting and he it pictures into, like, like a monster a, a, the boogeyman even like it's yeah, manifested yeah. into a physical boogeyman in that lives in his closet right like yeah and there's this great thing about the monster words his dad comes up with the monster words that ward yeah. off you know monsters from hurting his son and his son holds them to be very sacred and effective when of course the father is just trying to placate him in some way but so that's point how that they try to use them on Cujo, right? Like, like don't yeah, kind of, like, or at least um, the kid thinks that they'll protect him. Uh, yep. And um, and the wife feels that you know that the, she's being you know punished for her transgressions. Once so, so they the, the in this in this broken down car they go the uh, and Donna, that's crucial. Really, they're being punished for buying a Pinto. That's really <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they go to the, they barely get the pinto to the, to the farmhouse to get it fixed, and no one's or seems to be around because the dog has gone rabbit and killed them, and some of them around town. But anyway, they become trapped in this car and menaced by this dog, and uh, I guess you know spoilers, <laughs> obviously always for a forty-year-old movie, yeah, and book and all that. In the in the book, um, the wife. I, I hate calling. Why am I calling her the wife? Donna gets. Um, she gets mauled by Cujo. She gets bit, and she survives and is able to kind of kill him with a baseball bat. Um, but Tad dies from like the heat and um, yeah, I don't know, a panic attack or oh, you can't die from a panic attack. But t the, the, the kid book. dies. In yeah. the movie, he does not. He does not, yeah. So I, I really dug the book, and there's a thing in the book too. Uh, so the the sheriff's office is involved, and it really opens that idea. The boogeyman is real for the people of Castle Rock because of Frank Dodd, the serial killer from yes. that we know from the Dead Zone. Yeah. And so that's pretty cool. And then actually, I guess a, um, an implicit but <laughs> sort of explicit thing to pair, you know, sort of call back to our book club. Uh, <laughs> I guess the sheriff Bannerman sees the evil in Cujo as a manifest. He sees Cujo's as he sees that as he's like the old oh, Frank. This is Frank Dodd come back to to haunt yeah. us. And actually, Bannerman dies. Uh, Cujo kills him. Yeah. Um, uh, 
but yeah, this is so also it, the yeah. this is also the book just for anybody listening. Oh, if yeah. this happens to make it anybody, this is also the book that is notorious for being known as the book that Stephen King does not remember writing. This is the book yeah. that he wrote it while he was in the literal peak of his um addict addiction of drinking scope and alcohol and drugs and cocaine and everything anything that he could put in his body he was essentially consuming and then his family had an intervention he went to rehab and when he came out of rehab there was a a a like proof of this novel that he did supposedly does not even re- did not remember writing was cujo um, yeah that's what he says in his uh on writing in book. on writing yeah he was so fucked up he didn't remember writing cujo and I, I heard he also regrets that the kid dies. In, in yeah, in that book. was part of what I learned from the behind the scenes of the of the movie was that he Stephen King was given the opportunity to write a script and he did, um, and then it was, I think it was like too long and stuff. But he in that script even didn't have Tad die. Yeah, um, and so. Yeah. Then they they went through. It was kind of similar to like something like Firestarter, and when I was like, he, there was a like a one, two, three of those like three novels and movies right around the same time. Like they came yep. out in short succession. Firestarter, and, uh, Dead Zone, and Cujo. Is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Cujo actually too is it like breaks from that psychological like f- you know Firestarter and is about what pyrokinesis in yep. some ways and the Dead Zone about telekinesis and yep. you got you know carrie and all and, that there's a lot of that through his early work and he seemed to break free of it here which was yeah and that was and i mean there's technically there is nothing supernatural about this story it's a dog that's right yeah it's dog a dog that's breath. very powerful it's big it's a it's a saint bernard who gets rabies and yeah. uh, by circumstance these this mother and son get trapped in a, in a standoff with this dog. That's, I mean, the, again, there's when you, at the root of the story, there is nothing supernatural to it. There are supernatural associations that characters make like Bannerman makes this dog is Frank Dodd. That it just so happens. This dog is happening in Castle County and Frank Bannerman has to deal with it. That's yeah. his as a character reaction to this dog. But again, as far as a King story goes, there's not. Yes, the kid deals with the boogeyman. I think there that if I remember right in the story, it is left ambiguous. You were left to make your own decision on if that boogeyman actually existed or not. Yeah, um, that, that's true. They kind of like little things like, oh, the things, the furniture is moved around and the parents. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Not, but we never yeah, really so. know. But you're you're really left to make that decision on your own. But the root of the story is all tangible. It's a it's a dog with rabies and a pinto that won't start. And yeah. and you know, a hundred and twenty pound dog with rabies could do a lot of damage easily. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. 
I remember the story causing a lot of problems for the breed St. Bernard's. Like when this, oh. my, I remember my mom specifically telling me like there was a lot of stigma that came with St. Bernard's because of the movie Cujo, mm. um, which the breed, sense. the breed is notorious for being a loyal and friendly dog, like not a vicious dog. Yeah. Um, which, which is, I think part of the interesting thing. And like in yeah. the book, like you, there's a bit of an inner monologue for Cujo and it describe and, and, and some of it's from his perspective at times. Yeah. And, you know, Which first is why I love the book a lot more than the movie, because you, you get those pieces, those small yeah, vignettes of yeah. like what Cujo is thinking, which is why King is a great storyteller is he gives you all angles. You get to see all of it, you know, like I got to piss again. Go oh sure yeah yeah i can always piss. piss let's do that <laughs> you go piss and let me come back and we'll finish cujo and then we'll move on yeah all right have a not very many notes i could run through about the movie yeah no please uh let's talk about them this is a great king's corner <laughs> yeah oh my god probably our best <laughs> so yeah i'll just throw these out some of them might be points of discussions others less now so. in all fairness i have not seen this movie in probably five years at, at the very minimum it could be longer than that so oh yeah i definitely figured longer ago and yeah. i yeah, it's just one of those things like this is all stuff I missed. And I, I really, uh, one of my favorite things about the Stephen King pairing of like, I mean, there's the books and stuff are all great, but like the impact on popular culture, like this is all stuff I've been aware of. Yep. And then to get to then see the, to get to see the movies, especially the movies that were produced around the time of the novel. So they're kind of period accurate. Sure. I love seeing the movies after. And, and it's great when they're faithful. Because I have all that other subtext about what Cujo's feeling, all this stuff. Sure. And yeah. this was another one where they, similar to like Firestarter, they had a, well, in this instance, it was a Stephen King script. Then they moved somewhere else. And then eventually, before, by the time it was produced, somebody went back to the book. And so much of the dialogue is from the book. So most all the scenario is really very, very similar. So it's just like seeing it come to life. It's really fun for me. So I feel like Pet just Cemetery like, is the last one of those. Like, oh, so I'm so have, glad to hear that it is one of those. <laughs> that, no, I'm glad I, to hear that because Pet Cemetery came out in the 80s. Yeah, 
in in in, in AM Pet Cemetery, the book came out in the eighties. So I like I'm gonna pair the like if they came out in the same decade, they're they're in the same time period. That's that's my opinion. Yeah. Right. It's a little tricky, like with the stand, because like that one feels that's a very nineties feel to that TV movie where it's but, from, you know seventies book. Yes, and bit, those don't bit. match though. I don't think yeah. they match. That as well. Uh, <laughs> um Running Man is kind of a stretch, but I that's feel like... That's my next one, actually. Yeah, is, Cujo. Is, uh, well, the, the book and the movie are drastically different from each other. I've heard that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, almost um, have nothing to do with each other? I don't know how true that no, is. No, that's not fair. I, I don't think that's fair. Oh, I think they have the same premise, um, but they are both great in their own right. I love the Running Man movie. I oh, love good. the Running Man book. They're like... um the running man book really has the same uh feel of all the other bachman books they're just they're unremorseless their heroes usually don't win you know the long walk he didn't win at the end like he's he's no, psychologically really. <laughs> broken yeah, <laughs> road work. He didn't win at the end of that book like he like right, yeah. he created his problem you know um Running Man is a little different. Uh, he didn't create his problem. He definitely is reacting to the environment that he exists in. Both, both of those things, though, do a great service to the message they're trying to deliver, I think is the best way to say it. Look at that. Look yeah. at it. <laughs> Stephen King. <laughs> oh, man. That's one of my favorite pictures of Stephen King, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. Of that, like the bearded king and like. Um, yeah. He was looking like Coppola and making Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And, so, you know, obviously heavy from all the drinking that he was doing. Uh, and I love this cover, too, of Cujo. Because once you get to that iconic scene of, of him coming out of the fog, it's. Yep. Yeah, it's so cool. And then. They do a great translation of that for the movie, but I remember like really liking the adaptation of the movie compared to the book. I thought they did a great job with it. Uh, yeah, it felt like the book. Like I, fin I literally finished the book on one day and started, and I watched the movie that evening. I thought Carrie was that way. I thought yeah. Dead Zone was that way. I thought Firestarter was that way, and yeah. Cujo was that way. I think when you get to um, Children of the Corn. I think you'll feel. I I felt that that was that way too. Yeah, that one was okay. I didn't love that. It was um, Salem's Lot was nice uh, for me. You know, I have not movie, watched the like the, the TV version of that. I need to watch that. You know, honestly, like I I have not been through Salem's Lot completely sober. I need oh, to listen right, to that. Yeah. Like I need to listen to it uh, and just hear it as it is that's one of those books that i feel like i don't there's a number of king books that i feel like i have attempted multiple times and for one reason or another i just didn't make them through them and to the point that i have other books you know where i've yeah, absorbed them yeah. in the same way and yeah that was only is one my of second yeah so i was like that that was literally like i liked carrie let's keep going yeah number two with sales yeah so. So, uh, what else, what other King stuff you have? Uh, uh, maybe I'll hit some of the. I mean, it's basically been Cujo for me, but so I'll hit some of the little, a few notes about it. And if something sparks, we can talk about it. Otherwise, it'll just be a little tidbits. Came from Taft Entertainment. 
who also produced Monster Squad. <laughs> nice. Um, the DP for the movie is Jan DeBont, who would go on. He's shot a lot of things, but he went on to like become a director. He made he directed Speed stuff. Oh, okay. Really great work in this movie. Um, the debut of the kid, I think, from Who's the Boss? <laughs> the kid, the kid, child actor for this, whose name escapes me, was really excellent. Um, they, a lot of the cast talked about like he was like a, working with a thirty-year-old who just so happened to be whatever you know. Wow, age he was. Yeah. Um, let's see, Ted. Complicate. Oh, the the the, the the There's a nice adaptation touch where it complicates matters of the sort of infidelity by making Steve, who's the guy she's cheating on her husband with, um, like kind of a like he plays tennis with vic donna's husband so like she he's a known person in the family a little bit so it makes that sort of betrayal extra and just helps with the kind of condensing things but it kind of intensified things a little bit i thought it was a nice uh touch and similarly like they're able to do i don't know it's like basically the vic the husband drives by and sees donna and steve on the street like from afar from the car the he sees that there's some kind of weird thing and that's like his suspicion then the next scene it corresponds a little bit more to something in the book i don't know they do a nice job where they do deviate of condensing things i think in fact i guess the i i can't remember the script writer who uh oh i could probably find out from the video box but so this, i can be doing imdb while you're talking oh Let thanks yeah the um so the screenplay probably a Lauren Courier. I believe she wrote a pretty good uh, adaptation when they decided to go back to the book. But there, she followed a lot of the subplots and and all that. But she took a lot of the dialogue right from the book. Um, but it was just too long. So and they, she decided she did not want to be the one to edit it down. So they brought in someone and. I think a lot of the things that they did to condense things were, were actually more effective. So she did, she, yeah, she did a great job, and then someone came in to help kind of whittle down, just basically edit down this, the work that she did to bring it back to the book. But so I have this note about the Tad surviving, the boy surviving at the end. It really also plays off of the... If you're familiar with the novel and you're expecting him to die, it does seem like that could happen. Like yes. It, it's oh, basically no. just at the last moment that he doesn't. And so that that came from the initial Stephen King draft because he has uh, asthma, right, or or something yeah, that like there's something about the dream, heat breathing and attack. the heat and yeah, they don't completely explain the medical, or if they, do, they probably do, and I just kind of shut down. But <laughs> it's not like they establish he has asthma or anything like like that. But there is a scene where she's like in the book and in the movie where she's the mother's trying to like keep the kid from. I remember him like hyperventilating, like he's like, (gasps) and she's like trying to get him to calm down and like, yeah, 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 yeah. And in the book, like basically, at there's there's times where she's trying to make get the courage or decide that she can actually make it to the house without being killed by the dog and thus leaving her son to be killed by the dog. And um, at a certain point where she does decide that she needs to make that attempt. And she does ultimately like kill the dog and survive. Tad, her son has passed away from whatever that other stuff was. Another yeah. bout of it in the meantime. Yeah. Um, and the implication, if I remember right, the implication also in the book is like she has rabies now. 
because she like, yeah 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 right yeah. like because and, and she, she does actually yeah and i i think at least as far as the book takes it she does survive and she and and vic her husband decide to like stay together and try to make a go of it right uh, but you don't necessarily know what happens but Stephen King told the his biographer evidently that this is the one novel of his that he would rewrite and he would change that ending. Oh wow, that was kind of interesting. Wow. Um, uh, I thought it was super well directed by uh, a guy I'd not really heard of before, uh, Louis Teague, um, and uh, he he went on to make one other movie with Stephen King called Cat's Eye, which I oh, I kind yeah, of that heard was of. a rough one. That's a that's like an incestual like oh lord yeah it's weird but what he described it as as stringing together a bunch of the short stories in night shift through some sort of narrative device which that, that mm. seemed interesting to me um, wow. but probably good to know that not to expect too much yeah <laughs> Drew I, 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 I need well. to watch that one again uh, the what is that called uh, cat's eye. I think it came out in 1985. Oh, no. I'm, I'm so mistaking two different projects. Cat's Eye is awesome. That is nothing oh, essential about that. Cat's Eye is really good. <laughs> excellent. Actually. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because that one like is a, an adaptation of... I think is what that's called. Oh, okay. And I think that's probably that era where it's maybe less faithful, like Lawnmower Man and stuff. Um, yeah. But so I realized too, in looking at some of the movie work through the StephenKing.com, you can kind of sort by date or various things. I was like, oh, I kind of skipped over Creep Show, or maybe I didn't skip over it in the chronology chronology. But some sort of interesting. I think Creep Show was like his screenwriting yeah, credits, like, not necessarily novelizations. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. And creepy. I think it's like ninety or eighty-two. I want to yeah. say. I would te- I would highly recommend Creepshow for two reasons. First off, he's writer on majority of those uh, little vignettes that are in that. And second off, yeah. he stars in one of the vignettes. Oh, cool. Which is, he plays like this really bumbling redneck, uh, which is great. Uh, a great one. Uh, yeah, so that's stuff like coming up. I, I think in the chronology, I'm like kind of around 81-ish or something like that. So, yeah. so it all kind of works out nicely. Um, but yeah, this, this dude, um, uh, Teague did some really cool stuff. Like, um, the really interesting shots, um, different perspectives. There's just one great thing about where he dramatizes the kids, you know, he thinks there's something in his closet and he has to sort of make it, it's this kind of small beat in the movie, but they did a, a lot with it where that I didn't know until I got to the behind the scenes that it just sort of had emotional impact, which is the idea. But like, he turns off the light and has to run to his bed basically before like whatever the boogeyman gets him from under the bed. Yeah. And so what they do in this in the shot to give you that effect is that there's a small room set for most of it, but for the shot where he is trying to get the, that space from the light switch to the bed, it's a much larger set and he's got a long way to run. Yeah. So like kind of creative dramatic things like that. There's an amazing shot where in the mother and the child have been in the, it's after she's been attacked by the dog, but gotten back into the car where she's just kind of losing it. 
And they found a way to basically in this Pinto, like have a camera go 360 and it starts to just like spin faster and faster. And Jan Debont figured out a way with the director through some sort of reflexive lens to do, to do that where the rig was basically on top of the car, but yeah, like really creative direction to both emphasize like the themes of the movie, but also to make like basically a one set thing of like people trapped in a car pretty interesting Make use of such a small space that's the that's the thing to consider yeah. it's like the pinto is not a big car first off that's part of the like oppressive <laughs> yeah, nature right? of the situation is like it's a small car and the majority of this movie the ten well the majority of the tension of this movie takes place literally in the front seat of that car you know yeah and it, yeah and I mean, some their the, reaction to the dog while they're in the front seat of that car. I remember, um, I remember like, cause a lot of the book and the movie plays out as this like war of attrition, right? Like, like Cujo is waiting them out because he yeah. knows like there's some, like there's almost that, that there is where the supernatural aspect plays in is where like, there's this almost like knowing of, they can't just stay in that car. There's going to be a reason that they're going to have to come out of that car. Whether yeah, and it feels like some sort of record or the thing. Yeah. And um, it's just this, this great use of space. I like one of the scenes that stands out in the movie, which again, I haven't seen it in so long, but like, it's like on day two in the movie. And he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I pee, you know. Yeah, and I was like, okay, well, let's open the door a crack, and we'll just you're just gonna pee outside real quick. And it's like there's been enough lull in the movie that Cujo hasn't attacked, and you're like, you're just as invested as they are. Like, okay, we have long enough that this poor little kid can piss, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. the second they open the door, like it's like terror again, you know, like yeah. it just like ramps it back up again, and just oh. Man, really well done. Really great. Yeah. And uh man, yeah. I have this note too, like where the book was based on which I, I had heard but forgot. Um, Stephen King kind of got the idea from having a similar experience going out to get his motorcycle fixed from like a you know, a backwoods mechanic in Maine who had this omin ominous looking dog. And then he kind of imagined that scenario basically that the um that we that we're describing like what if you were yeah. like stuck there and that dog was rabid basically and, uh, and this is me just tying it back to castle rock bannerman dead zone this is the scene that created like there's another scene in the dead zone that created where he's the door-to-door -door bible salesman and there's the dog in the like uh, the oh door yard yeah. of the dead zone Ooh, that yeah. comes out and attacks him and that's what creates uh, who's the guy from the dead zone that like is Trump Stilson. essentially? Stilson. Yeah. Remember, he's the Bible salesman and like yeah, he that like could be the Camber's farm in a way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like none of the like family's it. there, but there's the dog is there, and like he has yeah. that altercation with the dog again. Like another parallel oh, yeah. that like happens, you know? Oh, that's very interesting. Actually, that definitely not occurred to me. That's cool. Um, the director was talking about real and imagined fear what was that thing you were talking about in terms of the cannibal and the cannibalize this um, versus this or it's opportunity 
Yeah. Am I going to be afraid of this or am I going to see the opportunity in the situation? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And this director felt that this whole thing was like about real and imagined fear. So Donna, the, the bored housewife, she's kind of fears growing old and she wants to be, you know, she likes that she's desired by this, um, you know, this young guy in town, poet or whatever, tennis guy. <laughs> and then her husband fears for financial security. Tad, their son, is sensing the tension in the house and is imagining. Then that's kind of manifesting in his fear of this imaginary monsters in his closet. But by the end, they're unified as a family by this very real fear of death <laughs> um yep. the, like the, the, you know and so it puts everything into perspective all of those imaginary fears as the director is saying both for the characters but a lot of our stuff in life is often things that we cook up and, and, and stew in our own brain and so so at the end of the book and the the family does kind of stay together what's left of it the 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 husband and wife but in the movie the kid doesn't die as well. So the, it actually ends in this freeze frame of the, that first moment that the father does make it in the book. The father makes it to the, to the farmhouse, but he's just a little bit too late and the son has died. Uh, but in the movie, like she, he just gets there in time and he sort of, that's where they, they end their story. Uh, director said it was one of his, his, it is, it is his favorite film that he worked on because he felt he had the best possible staff working in every department. That's and, awesome, uh, and that definitely shows. Definitely shows. Um, it. This is one of those movies. I grew up on horror movies. I grew up in a family that celebrated horror movies. This is one of those movies that is referenced a lot. And my, I remember through life. I remember Cujo always having this like spot in our like echelon of like great horror movies. Cujo was one of those where it was just like, it just kind of pegged my mom, my sis, my older sister, uh, my brother even as like a good, it is just a great scary movie, you know, in, in the sense yeah. that it's not Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees. It's just a, it's really suspenseful. You can relate to the people. Um, the premise is like is terrifying. I mean, again, that's a that's a breed a of dog. Of yeah, yeah like, it's a it, it's yeah, a breed but... of dog that is notorious for being friendly and loyal and nice. Being the like, if, imagine if that like loyal and nice and awesome breed of dog just decided no, fuck you, you know, like. <laughs> It could do that if it wanted to, but it doesn't normally. But in this story, it does. And that's terrifying. That's what makes it terrifying. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the last the last note that I had is a little bit of a jokey type, type thing that came from the composer, which this is a little side note jokey thing that the notes of the theme of this <laughs> movie are are similar and a couple times right on for the theme and love actually. <laughs> yeah. Like if you hear them side by side, so a, that's a little odd in, in retrospect. Um, but the, the composer said that he thinks about Cujo as the story of a dog done in by two bats. <laughs> First the animal that gives it rabies and then the, the bat that ultimately is used oh. to kill the dog. I was like, Oh, that's kind of, I wonder yeah. if that was intentional kind of thing. 
I, I well, and you know what? That's a hundred percent accurate because even in the book, Cujo is celebrated as like this amazing loyal dog, right? Yeah, like, he's definitely like disp- like you're not afraid of him after that first visit, and and yeah. of course as the audience too, you know things are going to go south, but initially he's described his inner thoughts or all this noble thing, you know. But yeah. even like every character that is killed by Cujo in the book Cujo can't believe they're being killed by Cujo. I I remember yeah. even Bannerman like was like, no, I know this dog. Like the like, oh, that's just Cujo. That's the you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was sort of you notorious know. as as a good dog. <laughs> as a good dog, and that's kind of what allows him to just like take out as many people as he does is because. They have this like false sense of security with him as oh, being a good yeah. dog. You That's know? interesting too. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, even so much as his owner and his like compatriot, who is his drinking buddy, essentially. Yeah. The, don't yeah. they get taken out at the same time? Like both of them get taken out. In short succession. Yeah. Those are yeah. two early victims. Yeah. And. And it and it is this it is this false sense of security of like well that's not Cujo Cujo doesn't do that you know yeah and, yeah um yeah, yeah that's interesting. man that's a good so, I mean, story it, yeah it was, like, I was I wasn't prepared to like it as much as I did I mean I figured I would but the one two of the kind of book being pretty pretty cool and then the movie being. Uh, such a wonderful extension of that was like it was real satisfying so you're so you're um to wrap this up to wrap this king corner up before we do some shop talk uh before we wrap up for the evening um you cujo gunslinger is next where does um oh shit what book was i just thinking of following that there's one where I was like, well, where is this in the chronology? Fuck. I can't remember. It, look, it looks like Bachman books in aside, just straight novels that go Cujo, Dark Tower, Pet Cemetery, Christine. Oh, Christine. That was the one I was going to ask about. Like, where is Because I think that one is one that you're really going to like, too. Um, I watched that movie as part of the John Carpenter when I was going through John Carpenter's films a couple of years ago. Yeah. And that was- one so of his great that. ones. That, that that film is great. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed really it. Really good. I think really, it was really one of good. the things that made me want to do the Stephen King thing. Yeah, like, and that's uh, again, that's in that series of like great adaptations made by like in er, early in the careers of great directors. You know, like, well, here's a Stephen King book. Make that in a movie. And, and Christine yeah. was one of those that I feel like John Carpenter did a great job of synthesizing the essence of that story and making it work in a film that I feel like we went through 30 years or 20 years at least of Stephen King adaptations of not getting that before we got to this good batch that we're this in right now. Renaissance. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, Christine, I, I'm interested to you, for you to go through that one and see what your takes are on that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It's funny. The dark tower, the next like proper King book after the running man, 
um, it will be the first where there is no like worthwhile adaptation to check out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think I'll just and I mean, not all of them have it, you know, especially when you start getting into the 90s, like the work that he wrote in the 90s, a lot of that does not have adaptations, you know. Yeah, uh, or the adaptations have it are poor. They're not good. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting to see your your take through all that. Um, yeah. But this right. was a fun one. And this was an incredible King Corner. Uh yeah. Thanks. Man. Thanks Shit. For... <laughs> I gotta start working on the treatment for the cannibal and the cannibalized. I I like that title. Yeah, I, I, I that's that. a really strong like that's a really strong project. Um, it's been fun. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten beers. I've had. Oh beers. wow, nice work! <laughs> Here, I'll take a picture. Yeah, this is the this is the fuel that birthed the cannibal and the cannibalized. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that movie's gonna fucking break records. <laughs> Well, that movie, it sounds like it's been in your head, too, for a while. Those are the best movies, right? Like, yeah. The well, yeah, they're, just, they're bursting to get out. They fester. And, like, I've always said, like, J.R.R. Tolkien, he had to write the hot, like, the, those, those books because he would have gone crazy with that world. Like, he has an entire universe in his head, just like Stephen King. He has to write or else he would go fucking nuts. Imagine all those ideas in his head. You know, I'm just yeah. now reaching the point where I have to, I have to create this stuff or else I'm going to go fucking nuts. You That's, know? Yeah. And that is absolutely the best stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why it's exciting. Yeah. And you just, actualize a lot of it tonight. I feel like. Yeah. So, like you're pretty, man. you got a great start on it. Yeah. So um, I'm interested to listen to this sober and, uh, and and dive in from there so yeah i think yeah, we're good i, I think we're in a good uh, spot yeah me too that, I, I make those mp3s to make my little editing notes anyway just to figure out like oh here's where we had a pee break or here's where we diverged for something that was not necessarily so i'll make that for myself and then i'll i'll share it with you as well yeah that'll work man that sounds great man this awesome. was a spectacular <laughs> so good so so just like every fucking time where it's just yeah. like man it's just so refreshing and fun <laughs> to be done and, and like at the end of it and just be like god that was a great conversation so it's so surprising every, too where things go like <laughs> cannibal and cannibalize never would have guessed in a mil million years that would have been yeah <laughs> i mean and that was just like a i see this movie where twinkies pursuing me through the desert with a crowbar and like that's that's exactly that is the movie I visualize in my head. Like, yeah, and that that had come up night. before, so it was really cool to hear it like yeah, fleshed out more. Yeah, we'll have to talk to you about it sometime. <laughs> Absolutely, so awesome. All, All right, right well, thank you so much. I I'm, I'm be able to sleep much more soundly having had this good. experience. Good, 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 man. Have a great have a great evening. Uh, freshen up the bride for me. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I love you, man. This is I like, love you also. I, I I tell you what, man. This is like Ash was the other the other night. She was like, "You should just like find a cheap plane ticket and go out to Minnesota." Like, 
I was like, yeah, I should do that. So, um, yeah, and I well, I love that idea that that Sean threw out in the middle of nowhere. He's like, is there a way we can all like be together? I'm like, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I mean, obviously happen. things are harder. You know, whatever. There's there's challenges sometimes, but I, I, there's it's yeah for the thing that we share and try to kind of make sure stays alive is irreplaceable <laughs> so absolutely doing absolutely work hard to bridge the gaps and whatever that that song says <laughs> yeah yeah the sunscreen song yeah awesome. <laughs> well, all right so we'll uh take all these cans downstairs and put them in recycling and then order some pizza so i support that decision <laughs> yeah absolutely all right buddy I love you. Take care. I love yeah, you we'll also. talk to you soon. And we will uh we'll catch you on the flip side. Absolutely. Yeah, just go ahead and act like you're going to go call someone. Go ahead and get pissed. Okay, no. No! Get I, pissed and then get sad. Damn it. No, I didn't mean that at all. That That's not what I'm talking about. I meant before. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't... Uh... Don't hang, don't hang up. Don't hang up. Uh...